it's that the pigs that are in these barns are lean. Lean, they're lean, 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 lean. They're too lean. It, they're too lean because we're tr- we for a while as the pork industry we try to be the the next lean meat. That it's was the very dumbest. Healthy, though I mean pork pork loins is healthy. As it, a is chicken healthy. Yeah. it is healthy. It is healthy. I won't lie. I do switch it up. I mean I I eat chicken <laughs> a lot, but I also eat some pork loin occasionally for some lean protein. But well, the the great denominator in the whole thing is so back. Uh, I remember when the the money maker from pork was pork loin. Today, it is the least profitable product yeah. by far. What's the most profitable? Pork butt and bacon. That's it. Because why? Because that's where Tastes the flavor is at. Tasty. Yeah, and all of this crap about people, consumers, our budget, whatever. Not when not. it comes to pork. They will buy what tastes good. Yeah. Look at the look at the beef market. Okay, the beef market hasn't grown that much, but it hasn't shrunk no either. One, and people eat a steak. If no they're, they're going to pay the money, they're going to pay the money. Well, you have it's a it's two worlds. It's ground beef and it's steak, and there's not much in between. Yeah. But that steak side, they don't care what it costs. If they have a steak, if they're going to have a steak, they're going to have a steak. They don't care. Well, let's look at the obesity rate in the United States. <laughs> All right, let's let, not. Let, let's let's just look at that a second and say. How many people have self-control? None. Of going to the store and saying, I'm going to eat a healthy little chicken. Yeah. Right. No. 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 If we had self-control, we wouldn't be one of the most obese countries. Well, they will tell themselves. Then they'll take, they'll take said chicken. They'll chop it up. They'll put it on a salad with <laughs> egg, bacon, French, and ranch, no, and some cute croutons. It won't and, go on a salad. It'll and go then they'll be like, oh, I'm eating healthy. Will go, guilty. Guilty. Or it, no, it's breaded chicken. Yes. No, what chicken. I was about to say is, you know what you do? You put it in flour. You put it in <laughs> breadcrumbs. You throw it in the air fryer. And you hope that it tastes as good as Chick-fil-A, even though it won't. <laughs> Oh no, you just won't. Which now there's a debate. I mean, the Popeyes chicken sandwich. Nope. Have you had nope. that? No, nope. it ain't good. I'm it's not. not. Even gonna, it's it's not, not. All of the food we eat and much of the clothing we wear comes from plants and animals that are raised on farms. Farms are different in type, in size, and even in name. Welcome to Barn Talk, garage episode edition, where the knowledge is free, but you get what you pay for. We're, we're deep, deep into the holiday season. Christmas is upon us, and we have a real special gift for you guys today. We're going to discuss some of our favorite subjects, pigs, tech, social media, and the power of mixing them all together for the betterment of, for the better good. Uh, we have a man that's doing just that. But first, we want you guys to pay the fee. If you guys get anything from the show, get any value from the show at all, share it out with your friends, share it out with your family, share it out with your coworkers. That's kind of the ticket to admission to watching or listening to the show, and it helps us grow. So we really appreciate all the guys and gals out there that have been doing that. You want me to talk about the markets? Yeah, go ahead. Talk <laughs> about the markets. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'll give you the market update. But first... Uh, this guest has raised has raised the bar, so I want everybody to know that now. Then this is this is expectations. So he he not only showed up, but he brought a bottle of Blantons. So uh, we're having we're having a little a snoot of whiskey this morning. So that's pretty good. So you know, no pressure, but a little bit. You know, whatever you want to bring along is is fine. Uh, I appreciate that. And then the other thing, I got a beef. I've got a little bit of a bone to pick. So uh, if you, the barn talk guys. 
Um, I got this. Barn the, tools. Yeah, well, barn tools, but yeah. barn talk is our yeah. alarm. Yeah. So the barn tools guy, they sent us this flyer, and apparently, I must not make the cut. No. So Sawyer yeah. must be the pretty one. That's right. And now I've got a complex. I guess I'm going to have to go get a new hairdo because I didn't make the cut. But anyway, it is pretty cool. I was I was glad to get that, and we love working with those guys. Shout out to shout out to Barn Tools. But yep. you know, I I think that they could have probably found a more handsome model. Just saying. I think it, I think it's great the way w- it is. Wisdom is sexy. Looks looks kill looks looks pays looks is in Hollywood so there you go <laughs> okay so uh, the markets as of the last time I checked them courtesy of Cat's Grain in Washington Iowa um, corn was five eighty nine and the local bid I think you can find a bid that's actually a little bit better than that um, I think at least one local feeder had a five had a five ninety bid um, beans twelve sixty eight. Uh, 1241 at the river, 1277 at Quincy, and hogs are 72 bucks. And this is something we're going to get in today because the hog business has all kinds of problems, most of them labor related. Um, I don't think our problems are really demand related, but um, we've got issues with production, transportation, and processing. So um, it's a tough, it's tough sledding right now. Um, if you're the if you're the integrator, um, cattle 136. That number just stays the same, but the price of corn keeps going up, so it's probably not quite as good as it as it used to be. Um, Bitcoin's fifty thousand dollars, give or take. I don't know what it's doing. It just can't seem to get over the hump. We need to call our good friend Grant Hilbert and ask him what he thinks. Yeah, see, maybe they're mining too much, flooding maybe. the market. I don't know. He's just getting filthy rich right now. <laughs> Yeah, that could be. Uh, Ethereum's forty two hundred, so Ethereum's actually hanging in there really good. They're pretty close to their all time high, I think. And as as the metaverse keeps uh, cranking out, I think you're going to see Ethereum be pretty strong because a lot of these uh, a lot of these exchanges and a lot of these um, projects are all running on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and I threw Cardano in there. Just because I feel sorry for him, it's it's kind of in the tank. I don't know. He can't. I thought there was a new. I thought there was a new. Uh, what do they call that? A split, uh, tap root, uh, something. They were changing, and when they got that done, I thought it was really supposed to go. I need to read up on that because it hasn't gone anywhere but sideways and down a little. Mm-hmm. So Tesla's a thousand dollars. Elon's got to sell like another six million shares before the end of the year to pay his tax bill. So I don't expect it to do a whole lot. It's holding up pretty good though for as many shares have been dumped. I think he's dumped uh I don't know, has he dumped ten million shares or something like that? I think. You would know out of all the people here. You know, I sh- I don't think I look, but he's dumped a pile to pay. He's got it and he's actually when he's done dumping, he's gonna own more shares than he did when he started because of all the options that he took. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, we we'll save that for another time. He had a he had a CEO uh, he spoke at a CEO CEO uh, deal that the Wall Street Journal put on, and it was some pretty interesting comments uh, about everything and anything. But we'll talk about the other another time. So today, um, this the guest we've got today kind of reminded me how fast time flies because when I thought about it, I realized that. Um, 
the last time that we had a chance to sit down with this guy was actually the first time that we were ever on a podcast and it kind of got our kind of galvanized our uh, desire to do one of our own and I don't know how long ago that was but it was before we started our first one and we're 25 episodes in so Mm -hmm. um Matt's a graduate of the University of Iowa and has a BA in Enterprise Leadership, Sustainability, and Pre-Med. I had to read that off the sheet because uh, you you must have partied a lot, you know, to come out of there with all of that. <laughs> Holy Mother Mary. He received his MBA from John Hopkins University, and today he's the president and CEO of Swine Tech and the host of the Popular Pig uh, podcast, and, and he... He likes good whiskey, so that that uh, and, raises a stock. he likes the Hawkeyes. Yeah, he's a Hawkeye fan. That, that helps. And the that Hawks. might be a good segue into what we're doing. So, well, I'll let it go. So, welcome, Matt Rhoda, to Barn Talk. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So, before we go in and before I lose this thought, since you're an Iowa graduate and a Hawkeye fan, I always like to pose people this question. So... What's wrong with the Iowa Hawkeye football program? And I'd like for you to, you know, uh, get that in like a one-minute bit. But I'll even give you multiple choice. So is it is it our conservative coaching? Is it our lack of decent recruits? Or is it some sort of curse that has just been put <laughs> upon us that we can't consistently win big games? Because I just... I just can't understand, and I'll give you my thesis that I tell everybody. Iowa consistently puts out offensive and defensive linemen that are amongst the best in the NFL. In fact, they're known for it. In fact, guys, I've heard many interviews by head coaches that they know when they draft a lineman from Iowa, they don't have to worry about them getting up to speed because they come in and they know know so much because – Ference does a, such a good job of getting them ready. Yeah, it's incredibly low, low risk to right. uh, draft an Iowa lineman. Okay. So if you're a five-star, I'll even say, if you're a four or you're a five-star running back or quarterback, and you know that Iowa has a great line, and they got great guys they are going to protect you, why would you not want to come here and play football? And it's not because of the winners, because there's other people that have winners worse than us that consistently get. I don't understand. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts. There's a lot. I, there's <laughs> a lot that goes into that, but I'll let you speak on it, Matt. Oh man, it is a deep topic. You have to have a high tolerance for pain to be a Hawkeye fan. Yeah, you do. It's like the Cowboys. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm a Cowboys fan. I grew up, and I went through so many eight and eight seasons, and I went through seasons where they get your hope up, like this year with the Hawkeyes. They get your hopes up, go to the Big Ten Championship, and they just get annihilated. Oh, just even throughout the year, we got our hopes up. Yeah, but I think we went into the season with our eyes wide open, and then we got scammed. Yep. I mean, when we look at Iowa football, what we're seven years in a row against Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa State. And yeah, if you're somebody that's an Iowa State fan and you're laughing right now or you're just saying, yeah, screw the Hawkeyes, they suck, you have no room to talk. You have no, <laughs> no room to talk. No, the all. state of Iowa. You're way worse off. You're, you're not even close. You're not even the Hawkeyes level yet. You had one good year, two good years, and this year you shit the bed completely. So. <laughs> they, they didn't even play us that no. year either. Yeah, no, that's oh, true. If we, if that's we right. played Iowa, we would have beat you this year. Yep. 
Just wanted to throw that in there. I think it's the other thing is you got to have swag. You got to be a cool school. Like they're going to Florida, they're going to Alabama, they're going to LSU. These top recruits, you well, know, you got to have some. What's better than our logo, though? I know. I will like, admit it is pretty sweet. And I did go to the Penn State game where we we beat up Penn State and we stormed the field and it was awesome. Best. It was the best Hawkeye game I've ever been to. And Ference knew. He knew what he was doing because he brought all the recruits there to that game. Oh, yeah. Yep. And it was loud, 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 loud. Yep. The stadium, the energy in that stadium, the fans, it was incredible. If I was if I was a player, I would have been like, if I know the fans got my back like this, I'm I'm ready to get on this freaking field because you just felt the energy. I And I will say, Hawkeye fans, I feel like no matter how bad we are, we're we are one of the most loyal. loyal fan bases, and anytime like on TikTok, someone will see my Hawkeye hat, and I'll, in TikTok, you know how freaking big that is, how wide of an audience you can see. I'll see four Go Hawk comments on there because yep. people oh, just yeah. love the Hawks. Yep. I mean, our fan base, we know we're not going to win a national championship, mm-hmm. but you would never guess that nope. when you talk to a Hawkeye fan. Like you, nope. you would think as another fan of another school that we actually are delusional enough to think that we have a chance every single year, <laughs> like we're like we're LSU, Clemson, Alabama. Yeah. I think there's two things with the Hawkeye program that to me stand out. When we are looking at our identity within the Big Ten, I don't want to be. I, I mean, we're not Iowa State's rival, right? We, we are, but we don't lose, right? We're not Minnesota's. We don't lose. Nebraska, no, we don't lose. Right? Wisconsin. We lose a lot to Wisconsin, yes. and they are the reason we often don't win the West. But Wisconsin doesn't want us to be their rival. Nope. They want to be Michigan's. Yep. They want to be Ohio State's. Yep. Michigan State's. And so when we look at the West, the two best teams typically don't see each other as rivals right. like the East does. It's so just a hurdle. It's a hurdle. Yep. And each team is like, we, we think we're your rival. No, you're not. It's kind of big brother, little brother thing. Yep. And then second, when Kirk Ferentz is my opinion when he is recruiting quarterbacks it feels like he's recording recruiting quarterbacks who he believes will be compliant to the process and so could we get better candidates i think so are we getting the candidates that kirk wants i think so yep i agree with you yeah i just can't believe that we've never landed like a justin fields like justin fields that played for ohio state he was a freaking stud he plays for the bears now like why can't we get one of those mobile read option pistol quarterbacks that can throw in and run the ball like a stud i feel i feel like you got the line we have a decent running back pretty much every year well you have to our yeah. defense is solid if yeah, we you just got, got we just got that recruit out of uh yes, southeast polk too yep, that That's safety huge. five-star huge. safety he yep. from southeast polk he's committing to iowa that was pretty that was pretty big but man i think if we just had a solid quarterback that could do both because this year let's be honest everybody knows the offense this year just it, it was the they problem. Couldn't get it, done. it was the problem. Defense yep. was solid. Hell, the special teams was solid. It was amazing. The offense is just slackluster, and it's kind of always been that way. I can't mean. I remember when Stanzi played and Marvin McNutt and DJK yep. and Tony Moyaki. That was the best Iowa offense I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, that which, was awesome. Which is crazy because it was pick six Stanzi. But when I look back too, it's if there's a favorite quarterback yeah. that I've ever watched at Iowa, it's Ricky Stanzi. Yes. yes, the guy had flair. And yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's why though is because wouldn't you say that of the quarterbacks that are compliant, Ricky Stanzi was the most aggressive. 
I feel like he yes. was. Because when you look at this year, the two quarterbacks that we've seen, they both looked like game managers to me. And yeah. <laughs> what uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it, during during the game last week, uh, they both looked a lot like. Uh, who was the Bears quarterback that Jay always? Cutler. Yeah, they looked like Jay oh, Cutler yes. standing there forlorn. Like, how how did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> Where am I? What's going on? Anyway, you know what? We've just spent five minutes, and I don't feel any better than I did when I posed the question. To I start. also think Brian Ferentz is a, is a problem. I'll just say it. I don't think I he's agree. a great offensive coordinator. I'm just going to say I think he wants to run the ball and be the ground pound Iowa football team that we've always been, but. Son of a bitch, we got to open it up. Well, I, I've heard good arguments to why Brian Ferentz is okay, and it's not him. Yes. I'm with you. I would agree I it's agree. Brian, but I've heard good arguments when they dig into it. But like there was this huge Twitter post talking about the game the other day. Yep. And when they were diving into it, on second down, yep. we ran 82% yep. after throwing on first. Yep. And our tendency this year has been like 77%. The and teams so know what's going on. They, they know, know exactly what's going on. Like the other day, we were sitting there, and I was with my buddy, who's a way bigger Iowa fan than I am, and we called all three plays in a row. We scored a yep. touchdown, but we were like, I bet we, on a, it was a third and two. Yep. And I bet, we sat there and I said, I bet we run a shotgun draw <laughs> on third and two. Well, actually, yep. it was third and goal on yeah. the two. We ran a freaking draw. Yep. But don't you feel like, um, I feel that part of that is Ferentz wants to be, he wants a team that is dominant enough that they know what you're going to run and they can't defend it. Yeah, yeah but you're not Alabama. No, you're, you're not. not I know you're not, but that's what, like when I see him do that, I think what's running through their mind is that they they've the got this offensive line right, in the nation. They've got this line and that they can impose their will on who they're playing. And some people they can. And when they can, that's fun football to watch. The problem is when you play Michigan that has you an can, insanely good you defense. You can't do that. You have to have a little bit of creativity. And what I heard was that there were a couple of plays. I mean, I don't know. The, the example that I heard was that if people that were at the game heard him call a play and Ferentz, Elder Ferentz vetoed it, mm. basically said, no, we're not going to do that. So, Kirk Ferentz might be the best game manager. Yes, though, I agree. All of college football. I agree. The confidence he has yep. the only reason we won penn state was because he we trusted hung around the defense he yep. trusted mm-hmm. special he trusted the process hell that nebraska game we could have easily lost that game oh but defense special teams showed yep. out on that yeah and they always have the idea that all they got to do is hang around for three quarters and then perform in the fourth quarter that's yeah, their like goal Tim tebow they want to wear people <laughs> down wear them down wear them down hang around hang around don't let manage the game and then come in and get it done. All right, I might feel a little better. I don't know. I just feel like I'll last. This is my last statement. I feel like we're slowly getting more and more respected as a big, ten, one of the best Big Ten teams in the nation, and one of the best programs to go to in the nation. Yeah. I honestly think so. I think, I think so it's too. getting better. I think our well, I mean, when we look outside of football and basketball too, well, football are rated two in the nation. We can argue yeah. we're overrated. 
But we were also rated, what, top two in the nation for basketball? Yeah. And our women's basketball wins a uh, state or um, a uh, conference championship or baseball wins a conference championship or volleyball yeah. wins a conference championship. So the athletic program as a whole is on the rise. And right. that's cool to see that it's not just one sport, but it's the whole system because that's going to bring money from all directions. And the city's fun. I'm oh, just yeah. going to tell you, if you're somebody that, you know, once you're an athlete and you want to go to a college and you can go visit Iowa, go visit Iowa because it's a great town to have fun too. Yeah. So it's got it all. It's got it all. It's good. It's good. Good all around the, all did around you, the city. Did you, Matt, did you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast when he had Dan, Dan Gable on? I didn't yet. I've been <laughs> wanting to watch that. That's awesome. So talking about Iowa City nightlife, uh, Dan Gable has an excellent uh, little story. They talked about how in the heyday of Iowa wrestling that um, on a Friday and Saturday night, he didn't go to bed. He just slept in his recliner because he had it he had it pretty much down pat that every every bar in Iowa City had his number. And at midnight, if any of his wrestlers or at two AM or whatever, if any of his wrestlers were getting out of hand, he would get a phone call and he would get up and put his hat and gloves on <laughs> and he'd go downtown and he'd oh, get wow. them. Yeah. Like he talked about that how that well, you know, these young guys, you just got, you just got to know how to manage them, <laughs> and that's what he did. He would just go downtown and pick them up and make sure they got back to the dorm or wherever they were going. And I thought, you know, today is it, it truly is. It was different times. I mean, it was completely different times. But I mean, that's one of the best stories about him talking about just sleeping in his recliner, and then the phone and ring, and he'd go wherever he had to it's go. Pretty cool though that he he was able to just let his you know, his wrestlers know, hey, call me and I won't, you know, call me if you need a ride or something. Call me yeah. if you need something. Well, today, I mean, today you wouldn't have, no, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have the roster that he no. had because right. of, anyway, that's neither here nor yeah. there. Well, Matt, you were a busy guy. And um, so you're an, you're an, you grew up in Oskaloosa, but you moved, you're not a native or, or are you? Did you move away and back? I was I wasn't sure, but you grew up in Oskaloosa, is that right? Yeah, so I grew up in Oskaloosa. Uh, went to school in Pella too for high school, and then uh, was actually born in Kinston, North Carolina. Okay. So my dad was managing sales for J.C. Howard down there in Eastern Carolina, and so that's I, yep. That's, that's see, that's you inherited the NASCAR. That's how you're such oh, a yeah. huge NASCAR fan. It's right in, in your blood. DNA. Yeah. Exactly. In the blood. Yeah. So give us a little background, just kind of how you fell in love with the swine industry and how you came to come to Iowa and then go to college and all that stuff. Just give us a little background. Yeah. So my passion for the swine industry, years in the making, let's put it that way. So my grandfather had a farm in Pella. My dad was originally from Pella, my mom from Michigan. But when they met, got married, they decided to move to North Carolina to take that job with J.C. Howard. And from the time, my earliest memories is going to the farm with my dad, uh, riding in the bucket uh, as he's feeding sows and, and riding tractor and stuff like that. Uh, and then visiting my grandpa and, and helping him, helping him with pigs. But growing up, it was never the traditional perspective of pigs. Most kids you talk to today, they did show pigs. Well, I didn't have that luxury because of biosecurity. My dad just couldn't have a couple show pigs on the right. farm. And so... Growing up, I would do contract vaccinations in third, fourth, fifth grade for a local producer and start power washing, and it just paid better. 
So I was able to go get all the stuff I wanted. Yep. And uh, video games, people can say they're not great, but they're a great motivator when you don't have the game you want. Yep. So there you go. I used that as motivation to go out there and work and eventually started to uh, to manage and, and uh, become more involved. I uh, had the opportunity to work for a company, Tri-County Pork. You yep. know those guys. Yep. And that's where I became more involved on the south side and on farrowing than I ever had been before. And I really loved how you could chase perfection, but never get there. Yep. It's also frustrating. But in the South Farm, there's always something you can be doing better, and it's very innovative in nature. And so that really captivated me and made me look into it. I eventually went over to healthcare, which we can talk about, but uh, <laughs> it, it, that, that really is what I loved about the swine industry. It's the, the South Side. You, you went to high school there in Pella, and you were working you were working in the in the pig industry as you were in high school so you know if you're an ag kid iowa state is the obvious choice if you're gonna if you're gonna be an ag because they have one of the best ag schools in the nation so what got you like what was your decision process that you decided to go to iowa and so you don't you didn't go the path of of ag business or uh vet or anything like that you kind of went your own path what was the decision making process of that so there's a couple things and we start back with iowa versus iowa state some <laughs> of my most frustrating memories as a kid was when i was in third fourth grade and my parents wouldn't let me stay up to watch the greg bruner adam haluska jeff yeah. horner team um i loved iowa yeah and i think i was lucky as a as a kid to have good teams to watch yep when i was young so I, I knew I wanted to go to Iowa. Iowa was probably one of the things I knew the most. But when it came to studying agriculture, ag business is something you kind of grew up in. Yep. Didn't want to pay to learn it. Yep. I already got it. And so if I'm going to go to school, let's try something different. My dad told me, do something different. Yeah, you can always come back to this. You can always come back to it. He did it. His dad did it. His dad's dad did it. And he's like, it's a tough industry. Yeah. Try something different. And yeah. so I started looking at business and I started looking in healthcare and I really liked working in the South Farm, right? Yep. Not to dehumanize it, but I liked that birthing aspect. It was very rewarding. So yep. I was like, well, let's try to be an obstetrician. And so right. I studied genetics and biotechnology at Iowa and did some, some shadowing and some work at hospitals and nursing homes and worked at Oaknall here in Iowa City and for a couple of years as a medication aide. And that's the route I was going before we founded Swine Tech and, and took kind of a 180 on what that path was going to be. So you make it through, what was the process? Like, did you know, I always find it interesting when I'm talking to people that, you know, end up going out on their own. Usually there's a moment where you've worked for different people, you've, you've worked, you've done internships, you've worked your way through college. Um, at what point did you know or have the idea to go out on your own to do swine tech? It wasn't planned, and it kind of caught me by surprise. And so something I often tell young people who aspire to be entrepreneurs is find an industry, work as hard as you can to accomplish what you want in that industry, and something's going to prevent you from getting there. And when you find that wall, it's usually not just you who's facing it. It's probably a, an industry problem. Mm -hmm. 
and then go and try to solve it. And so find real problems. And the only way to find real problems versus kind of sitting in your room and trying to fabricate an idea is to go out there and, and, and be challenged by it. And working as a, as a, as a manager and, uh, and for a few years at Schneider Pork Farms in Waterloo area really put me against that wall where I was facing the labor issues, yep. the mortality challenges. And so as I'm working in this nursing home for a couple of years, University of Iowa sends out an email saying we got $3,000 for a student with a good business idea. So I was pretty bored with chemistry and biology. Yep. Let's just say uh, I liked the end result of what that work was, but I wasn't all that fascinated by the actual classes I was in at the time. So I attend this info session, hear a lot of ideas like, wouldn't it be nice if somebody could come pick up your books and bring them back to the library? <laughs> I'm like, oh, or, or do your laundry for yeah, you. And I'm like, yeah. these are such small yeah. problems. And I uh, went and presented and brought pig champ data from a few different systems. Yep. Had the complete breakdowns of the mortality. And the individual looked at me and they're like, we've never had anybody come to us with data before. Yep. It was, I had the whole ROI case. And yeah. so we got into an incubator, got the funding, and, and uh, actually started working with, uh, speaking of football, uh, Josie Jewell, because he, oh, he was doing some uh, cattle technology work at the same time. And so through that whole process in school, we kind of worked back and forth with him and a guy named Lon Olenzak, who uh, really helped us kind of think through a lot of those things early on. You got the idea. So there's a lot of ideas. Yeah. So, did you kind of go, oh, crap, well, what? Am, yeah, what am I going to do now? What's the next step? Like, had you thought that far ahead when you presented as to how you were going to try to accomplish this, or was it like, okay... I kind of have an idea. Now... I kind of feel like I know what I could do. Let's just put this stat out here and see if I can get this funding, and then we'll kind of figure out the next step. Yeah, that's basically what it was. It's taking it step by step. We knew piglet crushing was a huge issue. Yeah. We knew that millions of pigs were dying from it. We could quantify the problem. And we knew that, at least in my time on the sow farm, we could teach sows to start getting up every morning when you went in to feed. And I thought, yeah. why can't we teach sows to get up off of their piglets? We as pork producers, within days, can yeah. understand the squeal of a piglet and know, I got to go save its life. Right. Why couldn't we teach technology? Amazon Alexa was popular at the time. Yep. Why can't we create some voice recognition algorithms to figure this out for us? So what year would have this been? When this you... would have been 2015. 2015, okay, 2015, we would have applied in February, got the award in, in March. Uh, we ended up getting a, a scholarship from the John and Elsie uh, Ferentz. So the Ferentz family yep. gave us a scholarship. Guess we shouldn't have been bagging on Ferentz so Oh, hard. no, it's, you have to. <laughs> That's the name of the game in, in, in college sports. Yeah. But then we went into an incubator program at the University of Iowa for two months where we were supposed to validate the business idea. And the whole concept of, uh, of starting a business, especially with hardware or anything, is understand your business model canvas. Who are your channel partners, your products, all the different aspects of your business model yep. before you actually jump in and think of a solution. And then go to the customer discovery. So they actually recommend that when you do want to solve a problem, don't start with having an idea of how to fix it. Start with just the discussions with producers on the problem. breaking it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you can understand it better from all levels. Absolutely. Nice. Um, so was it, were you like a senior in college when you got this funding or was it like, so you were at the end of your college career when you got this funding and like right after you graduated, it was like full board. Oh uh, no, actually I had a, I was the end of my junior year. Okay. 
And after this incubator program, uh, we had a group called the Iowa Startup Accelerator in Cedar Rapids come to us and say, you know, we've been following you guys. We like what you're doing. Our program is closed and we're kicking it off here soon, but we'd like to admit you guys as our last team. So we were going to get $25,000 from them and we were going to be able to spend that on prototyping and whatever else we needed. And he said, kick is you got 24 hours to let me know and you got to drop out of school. Oh, oh shit. yeah, yeah. This th- that was tough. So that was that one of your hardest decisions. Like, was that one of the biggest hard decisions you ever had to make, like in your young life? Yeah, I would say that was probably one of the toughest decisions to make. And I think watching college sports actually helped me make that decision more. That's a and, great tie-in. I'm so glad that we had the Hawkeye conversation. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, front. absolutely. Gosh, so at the time, um, a friend of mine was dating Desmond King. And Desmond decided, because of his family's influence, to stay in college his senior year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Killed his draft stock. Yep. Definitely And did. the reason he stayed was because he wanted to complete his education. Yep. You can always come back to college. Mm-hmm. There's yep. never, ever going to be a time where a college says, no, we will not accept your money for a degree. Might be a little right. more expensive, depending on how long you wait. But. I'm, thinking about <laughs> going, I'm thinking about going back next year. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm only 40 credits short. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't Just a little that. bit. I think I could run it. I'll run it for you. I'll run this whole thing without you. Swear? Like, it could be his, it could be <laughs> his internship. It <laughs> could be your inter- internship. That's yeah, that right. sounds like this is sounding inter- better can all the time. Can you learn how to code or something? Can you learn something useful? If I, if I was going to go back today, that's what I would go to do is learn to code. Absolutely. Just because people would think I'd be like a freak, a fifty-year-old man that can, that can code that learn and do to code? social media as a podcaster and can edit on Adobe Premiere. <sighs> My Good stock Lord. went way up. Good Lord. Huge. <laughs> Huge. Okay, so, we, okay, we what, digress. So what did you, so did you end up dropping out or yes, that so, was a decision? Yeah, so we ended up dropping out. Um, you learned not, from Desmond. Yeah, learned from Desmond because, <laughs> man, if he, if he would have gone at the end oh, of his God, junior year. First round pick, top 10 probably. Yeah, millions of dollars in difference for that guy. Oh, yep. yeah. Um, could have sent his entire family for multiple generations to college. Oh, yeah. Versus just focusing on, I'm going to get my degree, which everyone yep. has their priorities, and I respect that. Yep. Right. That was something where I was totally, I totally thought he was off the wall on that one, and uh, I was like, well, I'm not going to do the same thing here. Yep. And it was a great moment because my co-founder and I, a co-founder was Abraham Espinoza from Mexico, met him in college, and uh, best friends with the guy. We both had to make that decision together. Yep. And when we both committed to dropping out first semester, we both knew we were all in. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for us because a lot of times people start companies and you're not quite sure, are they, half, are we doing that? They're, they're half, half pregnant. They're, yeah. they're like, yeah. in, they're out. Well, in, that's out. A, that, you're totally right. You bring up a great point because when you, if you're a sole entrepreneur, the decisions are, it's easier because you only got to worry about you. When you're a partnership, then it, you, you got to be in the same frame of mind and you got to know that you can count on that person. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's huge. It's cool that you both kind of were thinking the same thing. So then that made it even like more like, okay, yeah, let's just do this thing. You yeah, know? let's do it. Let's do it. Cause it's, I think it's a little bit harder when you're by yourself and you're like, oh man, but then you got somebody else like, let's just do it, dude. Let's do it. Well, and my parents, they, they were like, I don't know. Oh don't yeah. Know. Oh yeah. <laughs> so just give us a little bit of like, the comp- what your company's products are and like what you can do for producers out there, what your goals are as far as what was your vision and what, where it is now as far as what you guys provide. Yeah, so when we were in that program, we were our vision was prevent piglet crushing in an autonomous way. Create a technology that could hear it, analyze it, 
identify where that piglet was and alert us how to stand up. And so we would, we'd be going to, we went back to school. We did graduate. We did graduate, but we went back to school and, um, from 10 at night till six in the morning, we'd be out at the farm collecting sound samples, uh, for, for months. And so I think there's football again, yep. Iowa, Iowa state had an overtime game in like 2017 and I'm at a stinking farm running sound samples. And I was so frustrated. I couldn't be watching that thing, but with that, what we eventually did was we created a prototype that worked. We created a prototype that could hear a pig, differentiate it between uh, teat fights and other sounds that are happening in the farm, and then alert the sow to stand up. But there were four different inventions we had to get along the way. We had to identify the sound. We had to locate the animal. We had to actually find a way to incentivize the animal to Stimulate stand up. Stimulate the sow to get up. Yep. And then we had to find a way to stick something onto a sow and keep it there. And so all yeah. four were very challenging. Uh, one thing that helped us through all this prototyping was pitch competitions. So the universe or universities have student competitions where you can go pitch for money. Oh, sure. Free money, no strings attached. And we got about $350,000 in pitch competitions on 20 different, 25 different competitions. Wow. We did. MIT, Harvard, Microsoft, Under Armour. And when we went through that, we thought, why would they care about pigs? That's the wrong question to ask. And there's a story element to all of this too. It's they cared so much. Well, because it was so unique. Because they knew so little. Yeah. Mm. It mattered. Yeah. It was such a big deal to them when they were able to see a video of a, of a little piglet stressing yeah. for its life and then be saved. Yeah. And so that mattered. We got that product. We got some funding, initial $1.3 million in funding that allowed us to kind of get the initial version out there, raise another six, and ultimately created a product that went through Kansas State trials for welfare assurance. We were using a TENS impulse, which is used in muscle and nerve therapy for people to get the sow to roll over. So incredibly safe. And we actually found there were some welfare benefits too for the sound piglets, which were pretty cool. But we ran into a challenge. And that challenge was that it wasn't completely autonomous. When we have sows that are at-risk sows to laying on piglets, somebody needs to intervene. And we found that the intervention or the, the last step of the mile that was tied to people and the variability that came from that created variability in results oh, sure. long-term for ROI. And the more we looked into it, the more we identified that that was a challenge all precision technologies are having. I can have a camera that tells me an animal's sick, but if somebody responds within the recommended eight hours versus... Yep. 20, 25 hours. Right. Right. Doesn't matter. I mean, doesn't matter. There's yeah. no ROI. Because your results, your results are the same as so, if they didn't get the if they didn't get the signal. Absolutely. So all these producers we're talking to, we're we're recognizing a pattern yep. that we're innovating, but we're not expanding. Yep. And they're not expanding because they wisely know they have no clue what's happening in the farm. Yep. What's happening every day? Who's doing it? Are they compliant with their expectations? And because we don't know we do know that there's going to be variability. So why would I spend all this money to bring this technology throughout all my operations with an unclear understanding of the ROI or the utilization of the technology as a whole? And that's when we founded PigFlow. Okay. Yeah, because that product... Okay, I'm going to back up just a minute. There's a lot there. I'm going to back up a minute because some of you that are, that are watching or listening, you, you might not know what the problem is as far as a pig getting crushed by their mother because that doesn't sound you know your mom didn't lay down on top of you <laughs> you got born it right it, it does happen but it's it's not and and so part of it has to do with the fact that um a nursing sow is not the most graceful animal um there there's a lot of weight there and they're 
when they go to get up, it's not a real smooth motion for them to stand up because they're carrying a lot of weight. And when they go to lay down, um, there's kind of a, there's kind of, if you've ever watched them lay down, there's kind of a starting point where they start to move their legs to lay down. And then uh, they kind of get over center and then they just kind of plop down. Yeah. And if you are a baby pig, um, the closer that mom's teat gets to your level, the more excited you get because you're going to get fed. And at when they're first, when a litter is first born, they haven't figured out yet that uh, when mom goes down, it's kind of like an avalanche, and you need to wait for the avalanche to hit the ground before you go grab that teat. And so what can happen is the pigs will be right underneath the sow as she starts to lay down, and you know if you don't get out of the way, you're going to get crushed. And then some sows, and I, I think you've probably, I, I'm speculating, but some sows are worse than others as far as, their level of whether they care about getting back up or not. Because um, some of them, and I imagine, are gilts worse than second or third parity sows, or is it pretty even? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird distribution. It kind of depends on genetics sometimes. But one thing we actually found, is you're, you're alluding to it, is when that sow lays down, plops on a pig. Yep. Well, we've had some assumptions as an industry that we had to learn and disprove or prove throughout this process. And one of them was that the majority of piglets die when the mom lays down, when it's about a third. Really? It's about a third. And the weaker, slower pigs tend to be the ones that kind yep. of, I mean, kind of tend to be in that bucket of a yep. third. But the two-thirds of layons actually occur when she's not laying down at all. Really? Really. So it's about oh. 4,000 hours of video. I got, we have bad dreams of just hearing pig squeals because <laughs> you hear it for so long every day. But when that sow is laying there and her teats are exposed yep. and she rolls back over. Flips over. And she uh, flips over. Those big pigs chase the teat. Yep, and, and they go they right under. Squished. No kidding. Yeah. Yep, because I wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought that oh, at all. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so they're, they're, it's, it's the piglet's fault. But right. some sows want to flop around more than others. Yeah. And so finding the more they flop, sows, The more they flop, the more chances that more they... More risk. Absolutely. That's crazy. Wow. So there's two there's two scenarios where they can get crushed. Yep. Oh man. I yeah, didn't... two major ones. Yeah. Okay. So um when you I'm just thinking about uh me as the either A, the South Farm manager or you know, the integrator. So describe this product as far as how like where is it set? How is how's it work? Yeah, and then we'll talk a little bit about because I I bet you there's plenty of stories about the looks and phrases that you got when you first tried to get oh, this my out. Goodness. But so give us how does it how does it work? So in the sow stall, you've got that center divider. Yep. And what we do is we hang basically a baby monitor like you would in a crib. Oh sure, yeah. Right on the pen itself, and it's acoustically designed to block out noise from outside of that pen yep. and amplify the noise in the pen. And it's just going to be listening to that sound. Well, we have a wearable device that has that TENS impulse inside of it, which for clarification, 
Tens impulse is about a tenth of a of an actual cattle prod and about a third or fourth of a dog collar. So it's probably a lot like when you if in, unless you're somebody that thinks that chiropractors are the devil, it's <laughs> probably similar to those patches that chiropractors put on your back, like when they set you down. It's supposed to relax your muscles. You know, it. Elect- it's the exact same thing. Okay. Except right. the only difference we do is typically when you put those on, you know they're coming. Well, right. Right. So you're not startled. Right. But when it happens, when a when we attach it to a sow, is they're startled. They, they right. have a, a nice little reaction to it. And yeah. so that gives the piglet just enough time to get out. out. And so when we actually looked at the actual product, now that we have this monitor in the pen, we have this wearable device that we insert into an adhesive patch with a medical-grade adhesive that goes right on the sow's flank. So we want her to go up. And so the flank's a great place for that. The time it took to figure out the, I mean, we tried sound, we tried food, water, all these different conditioning methods and none of them worked. And then the amount of different, we had to go to Japan and Vietnam to get this adhesive. It it was a, it was a process. That's crazy. It is crazy. And so what's the, is it just a, is it a second? Is it a, so if you, so what's the, does it have some sort of a delay where it gives her stimulation and then it waits and if she doesn't if the sound doesn't go away then it goes again or how does that work absolutely so when we look at the sounds of pigs one thing that all pork producers can recognize is that when i hear a pig getting laid on i sit there and and i kind of stand and wait because what i'm trying to figure out is do i hear a break in the rhythm yeah because if i do it's probably a teat fight well, once you stand there and you wait about five, 10 seconds, you're like, oh my goodness, this is a land. Then I go go run and try to find this thing if I'm in the barn. Right. Same thing with the technology. We listen for 10 to 15 seconds. And in that time frame, we're looking at the, the waveform, the frequency, and the time duration to figure out that rhythm, that breath, squeal, breath, squeal, breath, squeal, until we actually alert the sow to stand up, which is an impulse. And then what we'll do is we'll wait five seconds and give a second one. Okay. And if for whatever reason that, that squeal doesn't stop or she doesn't get up, we lock out the system and notify a team member to say, hey, this sow was laying on a pig. We tried to get her up. It didn't work. You need to come in and kind of look yeah. at the situation. So that's where the human error kind of thing kicked in for you guys. Well, I mean, that's one area because you really want someone to come in and look and say, well, is there a problem with the mesh flooring? Mm-hmm. Is, the, is there something or is the sow no longer lactating? Oh, are sure. Pigs no, are pigs nonstop squealing because They're just, they, can't they can't get eat. anything to yeah. eat? And so you have these outliers, which at the end of the day, like are huge welfare concerns if, if we don't identify those piglets that are starving. Right. And uh, that, was, that was huge for us. The actual poi part comes in because at Kansas State, we maxed the amount of times we could save pigs six times. So six different events, not six in a row, just six different events over four or five days. And we never wanted to go beyond that because our welfare research suggested that that was good. Yeah. Well, when we hit that sixth threshold, the device is no longer going to stop it. And that sow is an outlier. Most sows do one or two times. Yeah. There's about 15% of sows that are going to be at that six plus. Yeah. What are we going to do to those litters? Yeah. And often people do nothing. Yeah. Well, how do we drive and reinforce the right behaviors and actions in the moment to utilize the technology to its fullest? How much does 24-hour care play into that? success of that product because you know when i was on the production side one of the things that we saw that we we wanted to do but we struggled to do and i'm sure everybody's struggling to this day was the idea of having somebody 
on the farrowing side 24 hours a day just just in case yeah where with your product that would definitely be a benefit if you had somebody there the sow didn't react they got the notification they could physically get her up actually when it comes to smart guard because of pricing and how it all works out is it's your autonomous solution to get around 24 7 oh, sure they come in the morning yep. and then address it 24 7 farms are never a great fit for us but 24 yep. 7 hasn't been very pot positive no. just because it's so hard to have one or two people in the barn for both safety yep. and actually knowing people think are getting things done so yeah because if i'm the 24 hour guy i'm watching youtube videos till i fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not your go-getter. I mean, that's the sad well, truth of it is. Well, when you're hiring people, it's for day zero, day one care. Yep. You're not breeding. You're not doing that stuff at right. night. So you're likely sitting on a bucket in a farrowing room. You're checking probably five to 10 sows that are farrowing, which yep. means you've got a lot of time, got a lot of time to get disinterested. Yes, yep. a lot of time to get it, which isn't all that different from, from nursing homes of people who work third shift. Everyone's yep. sleeping. Yep. You got two-hour rounds, but there's some pretty cool parallels and... Yeah, yeah. It's just how do we how do we help people overnight? How do yeah, we and that's a great to that. Yeah, that's a great insight. So do do piglets die of suffocation, or is it more like they get crushed and they like crack their neck? Like because you said that you know you weigh a little bit. Is it because they're suffocating? They can't get air because the sow's just on them. Is yeah. that kind of the most common way? Yeah, so you'll get about 25, 30 seconds into it, and that 15 to 25-second span is really when you're going to confirm this is a problem. Yeah. They'll stop. They'll start to lose the breath because they are, are so compressed. They actually, nine, not, more than nine times out of ten, they're going to die from suffocation, not from actually crushing. But uh, when, we, when we actually look at that, there's, it's incredible. We did the, the size comparison. Imagine something the size of two mammoths or like three and a half elephants all in one, one creature laying on a grown adult. That's the weight comparison. That's the equivalent. That's the equivalent. To a little pig. To a little pig. And wow. so it's just, it's just a huge amount of weight placed on these little pigs. I had an experience huh. similar to that when I was at Kirkwood Community <laughs> College. One, one time I was in a galley kitchen and uh, a person that will remain nameless uh, caught me and i didn't think i was gonna make it out but uh, but i did i squeezed past i made it out of there it, it was it was horrible i had nightmares about it kind of similar kind of similar experience but a little different i thought that was going to a whole nother direction <laughs> it could have it could have but i just let it go so that. i want to just like to the people out there that don't know much about you know sow units or sows or just pigs in general what why would an integrator or why would an independent grower want and that was, you know, raising and breeding their own, or farrowing their own sows. Why would they want this product? Like, what's it going to do for production? Like, what are they going to see improvements on? Why would they want this? Why does it matter to save as many piglets as you can? A absolutely. And you brought up a great point for those of you who do not know sow farms. And yeah. so one of the things that was really helpful for us early on is we found a video on YouTube of a sow in an open, open 70 style pen. Yep running around with the little baby piglets. You had the dirt, the grass. They all look super happy. Yep. The sow flops on a piglet. Well, that piglet's staring at the scream. Squeal, squeal, squeal. And eventually, after four seconds, it gets out. Kind of walks it off. Mm -hmm. That was eye-opening to a lot of people who don't understand animal agriculture. Yep. Especially when it comes to sow crates. Yep. Because I was able to show a video and show stats saying, 
if this is raised without a sow crate, we're going to have a way bigger yep. welfare issue. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't, we've talked about this before, a lot of people don't understand that. So I'm in a little bit of a unique situation in the fact that my there's such a healthy gap between me and, and my dad in the fact that my dad was, you know, 52 years old when I was born. But I grew up here pasture farrowing, and I got in on the tail end of pasture farrowing, and then, you know, we built our first confinement buildings in the 70s. And the whole reason that he was so excited about that is because he farrowed in two 10-pen farrowing houses, and and also we should throw a picture when we're doing this. He was using Tamworth Cross Duroc, Duroc oh, Tamworth wow. Cross sows, which I wouldn't get in a pen with a Tamworth because I mean. literally it's like it today, what it looks like is a boar today with an udder. I mean, they, they're, they're mean. mean. Yeah, I wouldn't get in there for anything. <laughs> and there's pictures of my dad kneeled down with this like this Duroc Tamworth sow that has like six pigs on her or maybe eight pigs on her, you know, whatever. And they're all good pigs. But he always said like it was just it was just completely nuts to him as to why anybody would want to go back to farrowing in a pen because the whole reason that they built those those buildings with crates and the crates they had were pretty crude they were straight straight crates with no um uh, no rub bars yeah, sidebars uh, sidebars anything like that but they were so much better than what they had because that sow when she decided she was going to lay down she, she didn't get much thought to it. It was time to lay down. And um, he just said that, you know, the number of good pigs that you lost um, from, from pigs getting crushed in a in a uh, either a 10-pen farrowing house or a farrowing hut um, was just crazy. Which shows that a lot of this innovation around the actual crate itself came from a place of care. Yeah. And often when I'm talking People with, overlook that a lot. They do a lot. When they I, think we're just monsters and we're just trying to get every dollar yeah. we can, but it, whether they know. It really didn't start from efficiency. It started from the necessity. And of then, the of course, life. once once you figured out that that was a better way to do it, then the efficiency of having them all in a farrowing room and not in multiple 10-pen or a multiple farrowing huts, huts in a in a alfalfa pasture that you know that came along well but. i mean in my role at schneider farms at the time before they went to an esf system they were a they were farrowing house and you moved them on a hog cart to breeding yep. barn a hog cart to gestation and every now and then you'd have a sow that would farrow out and in, in the straw out in the gestation barn and you have to go out there with a panel yep and Try not to die from yes, the sow attacking right. you as you're collecting these baby pigs, yep. which are in the process of dying because of the weather conditions. Yep. And it was just a nightmare. So when we're talking with consumers, one thing we often say is that, you know, these sow crates for farrowing, they still are a serve solution. a purpose. They still serve a purpose. And the losses we have today, it's not a competitive solution for what we're doing because it's the standard. It's the mm -hmm. benchmark. But on the gestation side, we brought in gestation crates, which is another huge topic, yeah. because this was a way for us to provide individualized care. A hundred percent. Technology has allowed us to now get to a point where we can provide individualized care without them, Yep. which drives us to a place where we can make a transition, but in the farrowing house? Yeah. You, that's just not possible. It's not. For people safety and for piglet safety. Yeah. And I would, I would argue that, you know, 
ESF is, it's not necessarily the best solution safety-wise for the people. For sure. Because if you've been in any sow unit, um, the due to the labor that we have, um, a lot of the people that work in these sow units are smaller people. Yes. They just are. Um, and um, an ESF unit, if you are the person that is in charge of going out and finding the sows that for whatever reason didn't go through, didn't go through and eat that day before, that, that can be, that can be a tough, that can be a dangerous job. Um, and so I, I feel like sometimes we get, I mean, it has merit and, um, it has its advantages, but it also, it also has from a labor standpoint, it has disadvantages too, that, you know, we've got to think about not only the welfare of the animal, but the welfare of the people that we have tasked to provide the welfare for that animal. So Absolutely. And I mean, and that's where we've gone as a company with our product pig flow is focusing on the people, because when we look at the past 40 years, there really isn't anything that's come along where the people are the primary focus. Yeah. And so we're, we're asking to do so much more than we used to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's millions of dollars per person and responsibility right now. Absolutely. And our genetics are great. Well, we can't do today with people where we used to have eight live born. Now we have 16 live born and we're, we're basically giving them the same resources. Yep. And it's taxing. It's stressful. It's disorganized. It's frustrating. So what's what's pig flow about? What's your what's your goals with that? What's it doing for integrators and for farmers and growers out there? What's your mission with that? So pig flow was inspired by healthcare. I mean, we we had a conversation with Dr. Brad Frecking, and it was through COVID. Smart cat, very smart. That guy is smart. Smart, and he's not going to hold anything back, which no, is exactly not. the way I like it. And he basically said, "I wish that the government would have." included veterinarians more with the whole COVID stuff because they're the real epidemiologists. Yep. Doctors have a class on it. Yep. Veterinarians live and die by it. Every day. Every day. Because everything so, we deal with is that way. Everything. And so it'd be nice if the if doctors were to say, veterinarians, you're the expert. Well, <laughs> well you're not going to get that. No. You're not going to get that. No, no but we, we, we kind of do the same thing. We're trying to get to individualized care, and yet we're not looking at healthcare and saying, well, what do they do? They're the experts at individual. And when we were working through this process, Randy Stacker was a huge, huge mentor for us. And he said, look at other industries. Why is it when you bring someone into a restaurant or into a fast food chain or into a, uh, into a gas station or a manufacturing plant, within one or two weeks, they're at full productivity? Why? Learn it. So we went and we did that. We went through Culver's. We went through manufacturing, food processing. And we just couldn't find similarities it was not alike and a lot of ways it was you can easily empathize with the end user or it was cookie cutter like if i go into a fast food chain we all know what it's like to have undercooked food we all know what it's like to not get your food on time and we all know what it's like to have the wrong order yeah well that's their main three kpis you can't walk into a sow farm and understand that no, because it's totally empathize. different it's completely different yep. but when we started looking at healthcare, man are there some crazy parallels with what it's like to be a nurse versus what it's like to be an employee in the sow farm. And when we look at it, when we, when we dive into the sow farm, once you step into that door, your quality of care, your success is dictated by how the quality of care is provided. 
management, external, supervisors is different. That's more efficiency. That's yep. more flow. But at the end of the day, it's about the care. And so when we started looking at healthcare and the solutions they were providing, like us today, they have sensors saying, you know, the resident had a fall yep. or they need help or it's time for medication. Well, if nurses didn't have some device that helped organize and facilitate the communication of all of this, what good's a sensor? Yeah, it all fall, it all fall through it's the, the cracks. It's the same thing we're finding today. If I, if I respond to somebody who fell within 10 minutes versus four hours, yep. huge variability in results. Well, nurses needed that foundational solution. Well, that's what we're creating for the pork industry, something that helps with workflow efficiencies, process compliance, and individualized care, something that provides a more organized environment for, work, for workers where they can have better communication and be less stressed. And at the end of the day, less stress leads to better retention, leads to more, a better sense of purpose because you know how you're doing and why it, why it matters. And so we've been really focused at what are the people at the ground level doing and how can we make their life better? Boom. Look at that. Look at we that. Sword. A, we need a bomb button. Yeah, we, we got the buttons. We just need to put we it in there. Prog, we got to program a bomb button. So there you go, Sawyer. The next time you're having a conversation with your girlfriend's family, I mean, you can tell them. I know. I should tell, basically, I should tell Kat's mom to listen to this because she's well, you a should tell, you. She's you can a, tell her that, look, she's basically mother, we're the same. She the mother baby unit, yeah. We're basically the same. Yeah, You and I are basically well, the same. There's so many. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. So it's really just kind of a, it's kind of a, a platform to make it sure that all the people working in that sow farm are on the same page and people respond to this sow falling or this some yeah, something happened in crushed. the sow farm yeah they I respond mean, hey i'm responding to this i got this and then it just keeps everybody organized and on absolutely track. like when we look at the sow farm today we write everything on a card oh yes and then it goes on a notepad or a sheet and then gets transcribed in the office and we can say, well, we'll look at this real-time record-keeping. We've got the handhelds. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. You start to dive into that. Oh, these handhelds are an absolute... The I had nothing to do with the sow side uh, in my production, in my time in production. All I know is that nobody on the production had anything good to say about the handhelds. No, because what handhelds did was said, well, maybe we can get data faster. Yeah. Wow. Did they miss something? Yeah. Why, why, how about we help people, help pigs, and as a result, we get the data? Because they'll, the, they'll take these handhelds, they'll implement them, and they'll write on the card. Yep. And a lot of these guys are writing on a pad, going to the office, and sitting down and typing it. So it's just a, it's a different it view. It just adds more. It adds another layer. It adds another layer. And like in another scenario, they write it on the card, and they'll have two people walk the entire farm at the end of the day and highlight on the card what got entered into the handheld. And... I mean, that's not real time. Time ain't. That's the, the problem. Thing, our the biggest thing facing ag and the swine industry is labor in time. Right. We're not. We don't have enough guys, and we don't. They don't have enough time. We got to get more efficient. Well, absolutely. We have put a big value on information, so we know we have all this information, and we know it's important, and we know it's important. So we're gathering it. We're gathering it, but not and efficient. we're not efficient in the way we gather it. So we're wasting valuable la labor gathering it that we don't have because we're short on labor everywhere. But then once we have the information, we don't use it. No, we do not. And even more so, when we look at all the information that's being entered at the farm level, not one drop of it impacts the person in the day yeah. at all. Yep. And let's, for one example... Say you create a real-time solution, which is pig flow. I'm biased here. 
and everyone's on the same page, no notes that people are invisible to. But I say, this is how Pharaoh, and she just completed, and she had 13 liveborn, and she's got 14 functional teats. Well, I know right away I got a plus one on the litter, yep. and I know the average age of the litter. So I know if our SOP is to move pigs right around 18 hours, well, I don't have to go count a whole room. Nope. I don't go have to or recount it over and over and over. Yep. The work we do with our data on the front end that we're putting on cards can be much more powerfully used to drive efficiencies downstream. Yep. And so it's taking that data we already collect, distributing it across the team so everyone's aware. Everybody that needs to know knows. Knows. And then helping prompt individuals to know when and where to use that information. Because yep. the skill sets take a month to teach. But knowing when and where to use those skill sets take months. Yeah. And that's where our onboarding process is slow. So it's how do we help people know, you know, this is when and where to make a decision and this is how you might want to go about that decision based on embedded goals and expectations from the producer. So we allow managers to embed those goals and expectations within the system. And then we use that to reinforce actions and behaviors as they're performing them. So if I'm checking sales and the expectations 20 minutes, I check a sow, she goes on a 20 minute timer. If the expectation is to move pigs within 24 hours, I'm only showing the pigs available within 24 hours. Yep. And, and you, you can reinforce it. And that's where we're going with technology as well to get back to the sensors. Yep. It's if our expectations that we tell you a sow is sick, you need to re, we need to respond in eight hours. And then how can we report back to producers and tech companies? What is the utilization of your technology? How compliant are we or how successful are we in gaining the value based on your recommendations? Is it on your phone? Is it like an app? Like what? How would the tablet? Tablet. So you got a tablet. It's actually, Every, it's actually a phone. Oh, okay, is it a phone? Yeah. So, okay. So, so users hate tablets. Yeah, they they <laughs> they hate do. Them. Hate they hate them. them. We interviewed almost two hundred individuals, and and it was far and few between who were like, I like this tablet. They were like, I wish I had a phone because it could just slide in my pocket. That's the problem. It's like, where do you put it? If you have well, like a little station for every single sow crate, you could put the pad there or something. Maybe that'd work. But I, it's just too much to carry. It's too around. much to carry around. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And you can drop you can drop some expensive things in a in a hog barn or a I know that. And, and you can, will drop a tablet in a oh pit so easy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Surprisingly far more often <laughs> than a phone. Easier that Tor can drop a gate rod and an aluminum sorting panel all within all in three minutes. Three Isn't that minutes. crazy? You've got a sorting <laughs> panel four feet long, and it, it, it is within millimeters of the same size as that slat, that slat hole. Yeah. And yet, it has every, to get in every perfectly. time it falls, it just... Perfectly. <laughs> Well, it's Perfect. PSI's fault. It's PSI's <laughs> fault because that it, it is. It's not my fault. I'm gonna totally. I'm oh, gonna totally God. cop out Here on this go. because Excuses. yeah. Excuses. So Tim, this is your fault. My salesman at PSI. Uh, they just happened to meet when they were laying slats. They met from each end, right in the alley. Mm. And there happens to be one, two gangs. There's always there's one two gangs hole that's just bigger, bigger, and that just is one. It's where two gangs meet, and that gang you can see it. There's this much of a gap between the two gangs because it's where they met, and that just happened to be where Torque dropped the panel. It's not my fault. It was a bad day for Torque. <laughs> it's not my fault. It was a bad day for Torque. He was a little. Yeah. I was calling him a rookie. I was giving him a lot of shit. Yeah. It was, for sure. It was kind of funny. Okay, I got I got to digress, for, or I don't know if I'm digressing from that, but. What we've just talked about is so, like, so current with every industry yes. in this country. Because what you're talking about, because we're short on labor everywhere. 
And what you're talking about doing is making the labor that you have more efficient. Making it more efficient. Less more, stressful. More, less stressed, more skilled. Yeah, because so, here's the deal. So you can keep you the gotta make you the have. joy. Yes. You got to make the job enjoyable. Right. If you're stressed all the time, I mean, I can... It's the same with sow units, and it's the same with the healthcare industry right now. I got my girlfriend works in healthcare, and her mom works in healthcare, and it's stressful as hell right now. They don't yeah, have enough understaffed. labor. Understaffed. It's stressful. It's not fun, and it's probably the same way. It's everywhere, and and you got to um, make the job. If we got to make it more efficient, so they can enjoy their job exactly because more. that industry has the same problems as the swine production industry in the fact that it's not efficient, that they have people that are doing things in antiquated ways that take up too much of their time. They're filling out too much paperwork and there's too much repetition. And I would venture to say, I think people look at the dollars that they make. They look because they see the dollars that they make and that's what matters. That's what matters on paper. It's like, you know, we're making more money. We're profitable. So everything we're doing must be good. We're doing good. We can't top down. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're fine. We're making money. That's our that's our goal as a business. And hospitals are the same way. Yeah. They're the same oh, freaking so, way. Wait, we're working with Mercy Hospitals right now. And they're helping us uh, understand and, and dig into some of these problems. And Epic Health is kind of one of those bigger software companies out there bringing process compliance and, and uh, positive patient outcomes to fruition. And when we work with these guys, we start asking them. So hospitals, they're a low margin business, right? Yeah, very low margin. We got to be very efficient. And your biggest challenge is labor, people. Same. Yep, that's our biggest challenge. And your definition of success at the end of the day is providing high-quality care. Yep. Yep. Wow. How is that any different than pig production? That's crazy. It's crazy. It is. It's crazy. Yet, yet we don't look at it. No. We that's... look at manufacturing floors to try to inspire us. And really, we need to be looking at human health. It's what do you always say? What do you always say I about say the swine industry? It's everybody focuses on the. It's not the pigs. It's not the animal that's the problem. It's, it's the all people. the people. Yep. It's all the people. We we can't seem to figure out how to work the more efficient. Yeah. And that's the problem that you face. It's yeah. I mean, all in, the logistics in, in, that go into people in healthcare, aging is it happens. Yep. People get sick. Yep. Doctors who get to the end of their shift who are just burnt out make mistakes. Yep. Nurses who are sick of not being treated like they matter yep. make mistakes. And so it's the people component yep. of actually dealing with something that's fairly well-known, fairly predictable, that ultimately drives the variability of success or failure. Yep. And we, we try to automate around it and say, well, the person's only responsible for the last 10%. They don't do the 10% right, it all fails. Yeah, that's right. It's the weakest link. So what do you think is more important? Do you think... I mean, I bet they're they're equally as poor, as important. But as someone that's an integrator, as somebody that's you know farrowing their own pigs, is the sow unit farrowing your pigs more important? How many you get out of that litter? How many you keep alive more important than like the production side? Or are they just as equally as important? Like, what's more important to? Well, it's all it's, it's all important. Yeah, it's it's so. But hard. what's the hardest? What do you think has the most challenges right now? Do you think it's on the farrowing side? When we look at it, I, I think I think the number is your breed targets like sixty percent of what it means to cash flow a sow farm, mm-hmm. and your farrow targets like thirty percent or twenty five percent, and your uh, your wean targets fifteen to ten yeah. percent. And so, at the end of the day, 
that breeding matter. We have to get sows bred. We have to flow the farm efficient. We got to make sure we get that right. But I think the biggest challenge we have today is day zero, day one pig care. Yep. It's inefficient, unknown. The only aspect of sow production where somebody can go in there and for the rest of their life know their impact is breeder to conception rate. Yep. And that's why you find so many people that bred sows for 30, 40 years because they can sit there and say, I know my purpose and I know my ability to contribute to the organization. Farrowing guys, we should be able to know I'm the best person farrowing sows. I'm yep. the best person fostering. I'm the best person with nurse sows. We have but, the data, but we do not do it well. But you can only do that if you have the sows to farrow. So everything you do, if you don't have the sows to farrow, that sow farm's not going to make money. So to your point, what it comes down to is, I've got this sow unit, and I've invested all this money in it, and I've got all this breeding stock in it, I've got all this labor. So if I am only weaning... X number of pigs, my costs for everything that went into that has to be shouldered by that number of pigs. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to you and I, what we do out and finishing, if we get a pig, if we get a pig in the system that we're raising and the cost of that pig is already too high, it doesn't matter how good a job. I mean, yes, we could add to the liability of that pig, but if we're already behind the eight ball because that pig costs Cost too much. much to produce. It doesn't matter what you do in finishing. You're going to be upside down in a market, in a market that is, Bad. you know, poor. I mean, yep. if you get in a situation where hogs are crazy price, yeah, yep. you can probably still make money. But if you're in a situation, which in the hog industry, most of the time you have to be super competitive. So if you've already set yourself up for failure, no matter what you do on finishing, ain't going to help. Right. So that's where, that's where farrowing rate, really matters. in my it, mind, is king. And it matters. I mean, when we look at the actual flow uh, from breed to farrow to wean, you've got that first few weeks around conception rate, yep. where I can know, based on whoever's breeding, are they doing a good job? How can we maximize our, our farrowing rate by ensuring a good conception rate? Well, then it's within my farrowing rate, when are sows falling out? Because yep. we want them to fall out as soon as possible. We want to identify yep. them right as away. As quick as we can. As quick as we can. And so if they're all following out toward the end, that's a real problem. That's so we really bad. They're falling out. And then when we get them into the, when we get them into the farrowing house, stillborn rate and pre-wean mortality are your next big numbers because yep. that's going to impact that wean total. So if you know your farrowing rate, you know your, your stillborns or your pre-wean or your survivability, farrowing rate and survivability, you can have a pretty good idea of what is my pigs out the door per sow bread. And as long as that's consistent and predictable, you can flow a farm fairly well and make yep. it easy for your finishing guys, yep. which you talked about numbers. Yeah. Man, the, uh, the relationship between a sow farm and a finisher when it comes to sharing pigs back and forth, there's never agreement there, is nope, there? Nope, there never is. There <laughs> never is at all. So you got two, you got two major companies. You got, you got Pig Flow and you got Swine Tech. Am I correct saying well, that? Well, so Swine Tech has two products in Pig Flow and uh, Swine Tech. Okay, so it's all in or one kind of deal. Pig Flow and Smart Guard, yes. It's all kind of in one deal. Yep. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's one, it's one company. And then you got the popular pig podcast too. Yep, yep. So do you feel like you enjoy entrepreneurship more than when you were working? For, do you enjoy this journey? Do you feel like you're enjoying what you're doing you feel like you're in a good path of what you kind of wanted to do with your life do you yes. like entrepreneurship do you enjoy it yes i enjoy it i think i think the reason why i enjoy it so much is because when i was in the south farm 
I loved training new people. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved seeing that first sign of wow, this is my passion. Mm-hmm. It was really cool, especially mm-hmm. when you have an industry where labor is so tough to find. Finding individuals that you see, wow, this could be the the lifelong journey for them. That was mm-hmm. really cool. But you're confined to working with five to twenty people, right? And so to be able to do this and be able to work with teams all across the world, thousands of different people, that's what I love. I love how I am in no way constrained to the amount of people I need to staff on a farm. I'm constrained by the industry as a whole, which means there's a, there's an endless opportunity to grow and uh, an endless opportunity to meet new people. And I think that's what I like about it. You like abundance. You I like, like abundance. You like not having a cap on how far you can go. Yes, I do I, not I, like I a love cap. that too. Oh, that's, you're speaking Sawyer's yeah, language. That's now. my whole thing. I mean, I, I, you know, we... We yeah, I feel like we pretty much nailed the swine. So I kind of want to just get your take on entrepreneurship because it's just it's one of those things that's overhyped nowadays. I think I think oh, a yeah. lot of people want to be entrepreneurs, but they don't know what it takes, and you don't know if you're if you were born one or not. Some people say you can be you can be made one, you can choose to be one, and then some people say you're just born one. You just know that you're an entrepreneur, but you know I think it's I think you can choose to be one. You and sometimes I think you got to discover that that's in you because you don't know unless you take that jump because you would have never known if you said, you know, we're going to jump and take this opportunity and drop out of school for a semester. You would have never known that this is something that you might want to do long-term and be an entrepreneur long-term, you know? Absolutely. We were kind of talking with another group the other day and uh, man, all the things that got me in trouble as a kid. All I like them. where this is headed. <laughs> all of them ended up being the raw forms of what make an entrepreneur really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I would get in trouble a lot in school. I was never the bad kid. Right. But I was the kid always in trouble. Yep. And it was because I was always pushing the envelope at everything. Yep. And when you get into the real world, most people have that coached out of them. Yep. 100%. Conf- conform. Follow the rules. Sit down. Shut up. Sit take down, the test. And... Yep. I was never like that. And I wouldn't say that I ever thought I was an entrepreneur. I had no idea. I don't think our high school did a great job talking about entrepreneurship. Yep. But once I was in it, oh, I, I knew. You knew. I knew. This was, That's this was exactly, exactly how, how I was. Supposed I was. To be doing. That's exactly how I was. Because when you say push the envelope, do you mean like see how far you can push teachers? I mean like see how far you can get away with stuff? Teachers, people, parents, family, friends, video games. It, it was yeah. everything. Is where is the loophole? Yeah, well, how far can I go with this? Yes, yeah. and then when when you get burned, you just are like, all right, back it back off, it a off notch. a little bit. You try to yep. talk your way out of it. Yeah, but <laughs> but you get burned and you learn from it. And and being able to test that, to, to man. I, my school bus driver, he did, he didn't, he probably wasn't a fan of mine. Yep. I remember leaving the bus, and they said they would. He'd call me to the front of the bus for the next two years when somebody was doing something wrong. He'd be like, Matt, come to the front of the bus. Yep. I wasn't even on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I was just the loud. I was the loud kid, always doing something that you probably shouldn't have been. Yep. But it was always when you look back, it was always in the effort of understanding what is possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You probably your mother, your mother, you would be even further ahead because. Both, both me and my wife grew up riding a school bus. Yeah. So we knew what what the cultural effects of riding on a school bus was. And when we when we had our kids, 
my wife was like, I'm going to take the kids to school. I'm not letting them ride the school bus because of everything that she learned on yeah. the school bus. And I, I'm like, man, Sawyer, he would be, he would be even further. Hey, I ahead. rode the bus a couple of times. Yeah, you did a few times. You got to go to your friend's house or whatever, yeah. but Oh yeah, I had some good friends that taught, <laughs> taught me the ropes that rode the bus. Oh my, <laughs> they rode. It doesn't matter if you ride the bus as long as you're friend with bus kids. Oh, know? I spent two hours on the bus every day if my parents yep. didn't drive me to school. And and yeah, you, I learned Santa Claus wasn't real on the school bus. Yep. I uh, that's probably the most PG thing that you did learn. Oh, on the that, that is by far bus. the most PG thing. I mean, there there was always this guy and this girl in junior high would sit in yeah. the back of the bus and he'd rub her leg and yeah. he'd be talking and kissing and so I'd sit next to her on the bus and he'd pay me five bucks to move and I and I'd made a business out of it. Ah. <laughs> there you go. That was your first shot at entrepreneurship. Other, other than go. taking all the little bags of chips from the house and selling them on the bus, yeah, that was that yep. was it. And uh, yep. my parents were very supportive. They found out and they said, "You need to stop doing this," but we're proud of you learning how to make money from from something that's there we should do a whole show just of young kid stories of making money what was your first entrepreneurial deal because oh. it is amazing what it's so funny is when you're a kid you don't even realize no you're just drawn to you're, it you're just drawn to it yeah and you don't like it's just like you yeah. said it's like you didn't know until late in life that okay this this is i was meant to do this yeah I was my, meant to do my this. co-founder abraham He's got way better stories than me. Like I could say I learned the importance of placement of a business. So I tried doing a lemonade stand on a gravel road. Oh, yeah, tough. Yeah, it don't work. Tough sledding. Get dust. My dad always cleaned it up, too. Like I had it it too good. But lemonade's a little crusty. He was in first grade. (laughs) There's a layer of just the the mailman. The mailman who gave me five bucks instead of one dollar. He was great. But my my co-founder, Abraham, he would actually redraw Pokemon cards. And he created a marketplace of it at the school. Yep. Couple couple quarters in at a parent teachers conference, they were asking final questions. That teacher stood up and said, "Yeah, like there's a kid here who's taking all my kids' school like lunch money because he's he's selling these crappy Pokemon cards." Yep. And of course, his mom was in the back, kind of squirched down, like, "Oh no!" She knew. She knew. She knew. And then he follows that up after being not allowed to do that with selling these uniquely glowy looking ladybugs. And so he, he got everyone in his class to have a little container with a ladybug, which yeah. he sold for X amount of money that he would go use to buy candy. Yep. And, and it was just super creative. It's not yep. just the idea, but it's creating the following. Yeah, I feel like I would have got more into entrepreneurship if I wasn't so... Sport. I love sports. That was my thing when I was in, in yeah. high school. You know, I just love sports and that was like my end all be all when you're in that but you know once you get out of that and and i i think i did some entrepreneurial stuff when i was little like yeah. i remember doing lemonade stands in, in town and stuff like that but sports really drawed me in and then once i got out just like you said you just there's something about it you just know that this is what you're supposed to do and you i always did like to push the envelope i will admit yeah. i did like to do that on a lot of the ways and but M- midwest makes it hard because we're, we're not really we don't have to get that scrappy yeah uh, right. I saw my grandfather who uh, on my dad's side who ran a family farm in yep. the 80s and the 90s. When you start to hear stories of what it meant to work two, three mm-hmm. jobs as you're raising your sows, yep. eye-opening, but you didn't know that as a kid. Uh, yep. My grandfather ran a uh, residential real estate business that he started. He was a his- history teacher. Yep. It took 20 years before he could step away from that to run his business full-time. Yep. So entrepreneurship was in the family, but it's not like I knew it was there until... 
you're old enough to say, yeah, oh, that's where all of these lessons came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you're the first generation that knew it, that it was entrepreneurship. Yeah. The rest of them, it was just survival. My grandpa will still say on the re on the real estate, he's like, I I'd do an interview for school. So I need to interview an entrepreneur. And he said, I'm not an entrepreneur. Right. I'm a traditional business owner. Yep. I didn't change a business model. Mm -mm. I didn't create a new product. Yep. I'm not an entrepreneur. And I'm like, wow, those lines are getting blurred today. Mm, they are. For oh, 100%. totally. Totally. 100%. Are. Yeah. Totally are. Yeah. So do you feel like, because dad and I feel this every, you know, every day is a new, it's something new all the time and always stuff comes up. Time management. You're doing the pop, Popular Pig podcast. Yeah. And you're doing Swine Tech. Is time management one of the hardest things you got to do? Like with everything you got going on, is time management one of those hard things? And you have any tips for time management? So time Balance. management's very hard. Yep. I think with time management, you can get in your own way more than other people. Mm -hmm. Like in a day 100%. where I have 10 meetings booked, I'm at a point now where I'm selective in meetings. But when I have 10 booked, great. It's when you have three booked and you have the rest of your day yep. and you're pseudo productive. And I call it pseudo productive because... I could have something really great. Let's say a producer called and said, I want you to install this in all my barns. I might not do anything the rest of the day because to me, wow, I had a big win today. Yep. Well, how do I get myself to not just accept a win as my day was a win, but let's keep winning throughout the day because sometimes mm -hmm. you can let yourself kind of get away with that. Definitely. Yeah, because you get so I excited. Feel that. Well, I don't feel like you're as much this way as me, but I am 100% my father's child in the fact that like I can only go so long doing. So we had a we had a meeting. We had a Zoom call yesterday morning, and um, I had a bunch of office stuff I had to do. I pretty much spent most of my day in my office, and we've got this today. And I will go stir crazy because if I'm not out physically doing something, mm -hmm. I so much equate going out and doing with productivity with productivity. Even though the time, see, that's the biggest challenge that I have is we're at the point now where the time I spend in that office and the time that I spend in, in meetings with people and creating content and doing stuff, that's probably more valuable. But the, the, the way I was brought up, if I'm not out in the hog building doing something or I'm out chopping stocks or I'm out doing something like that, I don't feel productive. No, we're in a generation now where, where the tables have turned. Mm -hmm. Your yep. father and you grew up where if you outworked everyone, yep, you got ahead. You got it. Yep. You can't do that anymore. Mm -mm. You have right. to be smarter. You cannot work as hard, but work way smarter and, yep. and out succeed anybody. Right. And it's All crazy. All the tools are there. Well, because the, the leverage. Are, I feel like there's a balance there, though, because I feel like. We're lucky in the fact that we get to get up every day and do chores, yep. physical labor, and we get to come home and do some of those meetings, do some editing, make yep. some content. We get a little bit of both. And I still even, I'll chore, we'll do some other stuff with pigs, and I don't even need to go work out because I just feel like I feel that same way a little bit too, where I feel good working out physically. I like to be, I like to be challenged mentally and physically because I feel like that's, you need that. You need that. I, I get what you mean when you need to be outside and doing something outside. I don't yeah. feel challenged that I need to go work out. 
You don't want to go run a 5K? No, I feel like I just want to sit in my chair and 20, have... 20 Bud Light curls? No, your, no, I can't even do I can't even do that. I'll just pour another <laughs> glass. I'll just pour a glass. Why work so hard drinking, you know, six cans of beer where you can just have this much whiskey? You it's got more a beer, efficient. beer hat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I don't have one, thank God. <laughs> well, so speaking of time management, we didn't even really touch on... So through all of this, so you had Swine Tech going. So what got you, what what came to you that you were like, you know, I need to start a podcast. Oh, yeah. How did yeah. that, like, how did that come? Yeah, and I, kind of alluding on the time management thing, it's kind of follow up what you guys are saying. It, it's also when are you productive in the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not great in the morning. So if I can have meetings I can sit on where I can have more interpersonal kind of like like this. Yeah. I'm productive, and, and I'm good at what I'm doing. But if I have to sit in front of a computer at 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning... I feel that. I might as well not be working. Yeah. Right. And so I'm most productive at night, and which puts me in a bad thing because I like to be at work in the morning because I like to feel productive. So now yep. I'm at work at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And then I am most productive at night, so now I'm going to bed at 12, 1 o'clock mm-hmm. at night. And it's like, well how can I self-manage my life in a way where I am getting my workout in, I'm yep. getting some fun in. But with Popular Pig, we were kind of entering this pandemic. The thing that frustrates the mo- me the most about this industry, it's probably a few things, but one of them, is that the people who do the work that, that truly matters in the farm have no clue everything else going on outside of it. Out, yeah. of, their, out of their one little Out of job. their thing. And so it's, for me, it's, yeah, I'm helping the South Pharaoh and I got good at it. Well, what's next? Yep. Well, no, this guy's traveling back and forth overseas. This guy's doing this. There's genetic progress. It's like, this is an industry. How can we help them feel more include, included? Yep. Because they just need to know. And so for me, it was, I was meeting with all of these very reputable individuals. It was, how can I share their stories? How can I help get the information or the stories that are happening at the high level that most don't get to see to the ground level? Because nowhere in my life did I see sow production or pig production being nearly as fascinating as it is. Right. 100%. Until I actually had to travel. Yeah, well, that's that's great. When did you start that? So we would have started that. um, I mean, there was definitely a week and a half of me sitting in a chair uh, after COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Where... uh, Everyone says with a good crisis, there's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, was, I was sitting there like, what the hell is my opportunity? Yep. And I couldn't freaking find it. And I just started talking to people. And we found pig flow. We found popular pig. They're both rooted in one core problem, and that was people. Yep. Is how do we help people become more involved, more efficient, less stressed, more, more a part of the solution? And that's where they both kind of came together. Um, people were more accessible than ever before. Zoom was now normal. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, let's do that. And it's turned into a really fun thing for me, time yep. management-wise, mm-hmm. is the ambitious side of me would love to make Popular Pig swine it, right? Yeah. Like, those guys do a great job. Yeah, they do. Right. They do a great job. Mm-hmm. I can do an episode, the the preparation, the recording, and the posting within an hour and a half a week of my time. Yep. I've got other things I need to do. Yep. There's not another swine that's needed out there. They're doing a great job. Let's let's yep. be unique. Let's do something different. You guys do a great job. We try to share stories. They're educational. Yep. Let's play the role. Let's be efficient in it. And let's make sure we're not overlapping so much that we're not making progress as an industry. And that's kind of what fueled our our strategy. And 
And that's why we we do. We we interviewed you guys. We're interviewing Marcio. We interviewed yeah. Casey Bradley and and Jim Eady. It's it's how do we all work together to be better? I think I like Jim's that. time management strategy is just not to sleep. Because <laughs> I don't know how he. I don't know how he's he, always up. Yeah, because he he'll message me on LinkedIn. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's five in the morning or it's midnight. I'm like. I pretty much convinced he doesn't sleep because either that or the ideas new... just wake him up. Oh, like he just, just gets an idea and it's like he's just scheduling it out. He's like, oh, I'm gonna send this at three, schedule it out for two a.m. and let's let's make people think I'm working. Well, yeah. people people used to <laughs> people used to speculate that Joe Connors did that because oh, really? Joe would he would reply to your email like at three o'clock in the morning. And oh, I'd believe like, it though with Joe. Well, and that's true. I if you know him at all, you'd be like, eh, maybe that's right. But some people thought he just did it to mess with. Probably him. woke up, had to take a leak, and was like, I'm gonna check my emails. And yeah. then he starts sending out emails and go back to bed. And I think he just did it so people felt like, gosh, dang, is he ever sleep? Guys, he's working at four in the morning. Gosh, dang, I gotta get up earlier. We do live in a time where you can schedule things out to make people oh, believe yeah. you don't sleep. Totally. totally. I mean, yeah, you could you could have written that email and had it just ready to go at. 3 a.m. to send. Well, yeah, true. Something like that. Well, I I totally agree with you because I think one of the things that on the production side, and I would say even on the on the sow side, people get caught in whatever system they're in, and you're going to get taught the way to do it by whoever's running that system, and everybody in that system gets comfortable in the way that you're doing it, and. One of the biggest benefits, I feel like, of what you're doing and what IT does, and even to some extent what we do on the production side is, I love the comments we get from people that grow for somebody else. Yeah. Because, you know, when we do a walkthrough of how we start wean pigs or how we do this or how we do that, we always get all these comments because everybody does it different. And... We need to do a better job of sharing that because as an industry, I feel like we can all get a lot better when you question why you're doing what you're doing. And you may be, the way you're doing it, that may be the best way to do it. Possible. This but is it may, not ever quantified or measured, right. so there's no way to effectively communicate it. And the other thing is there's more than one way to do a lot of things. I think every farm is a unique version of itself. And so this actually lends itself to a problem with some of the, the bigger systems is you want that streamline, that consistency, yeah. the process compliance. We, we've talked to people that have stepped away from a, from a larger role and they go to a smaller farm and they're like, oh my goodness, like there's just all this stuff I have to learn. Well, yeah. it's because you're not following kind of a standard process. It's if, if the farm is turning to the left, how do you get it back center? If it's turning yeah. to the right, how do you get it back center? And and I think that there's there's so many differences between all the different systems, and there's there isn't a right or wrong. It's just yeah. the, the way you need to do to run a successful business and offer a high quality of care. Well, what does that mean for you? Yeah, and part of that's culture. Yeah, I mean, and that's one that's a that's a whole we could do a whole story about culture. But you know, within an organization, from the top to the bottom, if you set the standard and you set what is expected. And people can get behind it. It's all about people. All of people got to well, get yeah, behind the vision. They got to feel like they're heard. They got to feel a part of something. I think that's the whole thing is if they feel heard. And I feel like in ag, the feel like you're a part of something is already there. Because you know you're a part of something. No, you you're are. a part of feeding the world. Ag is like the Hawkeyes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, <laughs> you ultimate so tie, many, ultimate tie you in. so many hurdles. Yeah. So many hurdles. 
Yep. And yet you do great things. Yep. And, and it, 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 man, it feels like a, when you're in the ag, it feels like you're a Hawkeye. Yeah. America <laughs> needs farmers, baby. That was the best damn thing they ever did. <laughs> Ultimate tie in. Ricky Stanzi, if you don't love it, leave it, right? Yep. Yeah. If you don't love agriculture, then find somebody yeah, who does. Yeah, that's because true. That's we right. Need, we need people with a strong heart for this industry. Yeah, definitely. But you know what? That's what, I, you know, I feel like in the ag, you got to just, you got to make your people feel hurt yes. because the, the why and Feeling a part of something's already there. Everyone knows that we're trying to feed the world. So that's there. You know, a nugget that I'm I'm stumbling upon is we're living in a world where a lot of individuals who have a farm are offloading it to somebody else to manage it. Yep. And those management companies do a great job of managing the farm. But I feel like there's a missed element of this transition, which is leading and causing a lot of problems. And that's the owner has been driving culture. Yep. And they step away. And when they're stepping away and hiring a management company, they're like, all changes. Hands off. Yep. Well, not only is the culture changing, when that management company comes in, they're like, we're managing. I don't think either one is having the conversation of, all right, you're managing now, you're stepping away, but who is the person working for? Yep. What is the purpose now? What is the culture? There's a bigger element of, are you doing the things right to flow a farm? of am I flowing the farm right for this farmer here who I know in my community? And that culture can exist with a bigger company. It happens all the time. Yep. But it's is the is are the management companies going that extra step of saying, you know, this is why you matter. Because yep. it feels like a lot of the turnover that is huge. Feels like a lot of the turnovers coming from individuals in, that in those companies are 26 to 29 years old. They are good at what they do. They have the skill sets and now they're like, now what? They don't feel valued. Or or they feel like They've, they've hit their peak. Yep. Well, if you know your purpose and you feel as a part of the organization, well, your purpose is, well, now I'm helping this company as an expert figure yep. out how to get to the next mile, but they, they don't feel that. Yep. And so it's how do we have more of a clear transition of culture from those situations? I think that would, that would do a lot of good. And that's only going to multiply. Yeah, it's only going to multiply. And there's a huge opportunity there because you don't need technology. You don't need to hire somebody special. You just need to make sure you hit that step of the process. Yeah. The value of an employee over time, it just... I think oh, so huge. many people just overlook that too. Yeah. Especially with like, if we wanted to hire out chores one day sometime, you know? Yep. We'd want to get a guy that... Is going to stay. Is going to stay. And I'm okay. You know what? I don't give a shit. I'd buy the guy a new, brand new pickup if it meant that he was going to be staying <laughs> well, you, here. Right? He does a good job, and I know he does a great job, and he needs a truck, and that would mean the you know he just loves trucks. I'd get him a brand new pickup truck because well, I know that's important to him. You touch on a great point because you gotta keep because that matters. Good luck trying to find somebody that's going to replace him if he's good. I feel like as an industry, and this isn't everywhere, but we get caught up so much on efficiencies and. What's the bottom dollar? We're, dollar? we're all trying to hire. We're all trying to buy everything as efficiently as we can. And when it comes to labor... It's going to hit a point. Even And I feel like it gets, if it gets greater the size of the operation because at the size of the operation, you lose track of the individual. But like what you're saying for us, if I can hire somebody that I can sleep at night and yeah. I know it's getting done... What's that worth to you? Oh my goodness, you're hitting it. You're hitting it. One of my biggest, other biggest unpopular beliefs or frustrations is labor is such a huge element of our, of our economy, yeah. of our industry. 
I have not met a producer who can give me an ROI on what it means to hire a person. Yeah. Yet we, we, we talk about we want a three to four ROI on anything that helps us reduce labor. Yep. Yet we don't know what we have. So I am working with a large producer. We're putting together calculators to figure that out. But it's, it's, it's high. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. It, like the standard six bucks a pig space, take care of pigs for 24 yeah. or just any building. Dad and I have always talked about, you know, and this won't happen for a long time, but, you know, everyone listening. If it'll we had, happen, if we had it'll a grain, happen sooner for had, me than it will for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. If we had a bigger, <laughs> if we had a bigger grain farming operation, that took more of our time and this stuff took more of our time. And, you know, the pigs were just becoming too much where we're like, okay, we got to probably hire somebody to do this. Right. But paying them six bucks, I don't know if I'd pay him six bucks. I'd probably pay him. Seven bucks. You got to pay more. Pay more because the other thing is that we talked about on previous episodes is you want them to take care of that building just as good as you would because that building is an asset to us. Oh, yeah. The well, pigs are an asset too. Though pigs matter, they're number one. The welfare of the pigs matter. But yeah. that building is number two. If you want to put yourself through a really fun workshop, calculate based on a sow farm or a finishing farm when you have somebody responsible for the farm, what amount of responsibility and dollars are they carrying on a oh, per person basis? We just talked. You we you hit that, that earlier. You got oh, millions of dollars worth of liability out there. A guy paid thirty thousand dollars is carrying like a million and yes. a half, two million dollars. What other industry do we allow one person with right. with that no much experience to carry carry that? It's yeah, insane. It is. It's absolutely insane. I don't know. I, and I think that's something that's going to come. It's it, hard because guess what? The end product that the consumer eats, we're trying to make it cheap. Right. So that people can afford it. Yeah. And then so then we got to pay these people that have that liability. We got to try to pay them cheap because we know what the product's going to at the end of the day. We're the other white meat. Like, talk oh, about like, God. Okay, okay, okay. Like, Let's, go Let's go into this. Let's go into this a little bit. Let's go into this a little bit. Let's go into this. Like, we, we marketed ourselves to a cheaper protein. Oh, God. God. That is the worst thing. I don't give a shit what anyone says. That is the worst <laughs> thing the pork industry ever did. We, no one in the, and no one in the right mind, you know, smoker, smoker culture is a big thing. Grilling culture is a huge thing now. And you know what? No one gives a shit that it's about lean. the price. No one cares that pork's a lean protein. They want a pulled Taste. pork that's fatty, Taste. juicy, tasty, oh, smoked, yes. barbecue. Well, They're not smoking a pulled pork to go in their food prep containers for the week. Yeah. They're smoking a pulled pork because they're having people over for the freaking Super Bowl party. Well, people yeah. already think that uh, pig's unhealthy. Yes. They already... And it's not. They already think that the organic version is healthier. And so I right. meet with people and I'm like, you know, if you bought organic bacon versus regular bacon, it's probably worse for you. It's going to yeah. taste a lot better. Yeah. So you got a lot more fat in there. Yeah. But that's like, it. We don't understand. It's the breed that matters. It's yes. the breed of the pig well, that matters the most. It's not the conditions. It's not that these built these barns. It's not that these pigs are in these barns. That doesn't matter. It's that the pigs that are in these barns are lean. Lean, they're lean, lean, they're too lean. They're too lean because we're we for a while as the pork industry we try to be the the next lean meat. That it's was the dumbest healthy, though. I mean, pork pork loins is healthy. As it, a is chicken healthy. Yeah. it is healthy. It is healthy. I won't lie. I do switch it up. I mean, I I eat chicken <laughs> a lot, but I also eat some pork loin occasionally for some lean protein. But well, the the great denominator in the whole thing is so back. Uh, I remember when the. The money maker from pork was pork loin. 
Today, it is the least profitable product yeah. by far. What's the most profitable? Pork butt and bacon. That's it. Because why? Because that's where the flavor is at. Tasty. And all of this crap about people, consumers, our budget, whatever. Not when it comes to pork. They will buy what tastes good. Look at the the beef market. Okay, the beef market hasn't grown that much, but it hasn't shrunk either. And people... Eat a steak. If no they're they're going to pay the money. They're going to pay the money. Well, you have it's a it's two worlds. It's ground beef and it's steak, and there's not much in between. Yeah. But that steak side, they don't care what it costs. If they have a steak, if they're going to have a steak, they're going to have a steak. They don't care. Well, let's look at the obesity rate in the United States. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let, not. Let, let's let's just look at that a second and say, how many people have self control? None. Of going to the store and saying, I'm going to eat a healthy little chicken. Yeah. Right. No. No, no. If we had self control, we wouldn't be the one of the most obese countries. Well, they will tell themselves. Then they'll take they'll take said chicken, they'll chop it up, they'll put it on a salad <laughs> with an egg, bacon, French, and ranch, no, and some cute croutons. It won't and, go on a salad. It'll and go then they'll be like, "Ah, oh, meat healthy, will go, guilty, guilty." Or it, no, it's breaded chicken. Yeah. So no, what chicken. I was about to say is, you know what you do? You put it in flour. You put it in <laughs> breadcrumbs. You throw it in the air fryer, and you hope that it tastes as good as Chick Fil A, even though it won't. <laughs> Oh no, you just won't. Which now there's a debate. I mean, the Popeyes chicken sandwich. Nope. Have you had no, nope. no, nope. it ain't good. I'm it's not. not. Even good. It's, it's not. Even not. Good. I've heard if you take the Popeyes sandwich and you put it on the Chick Fil A bun, here's a hack for you. Go ahead, go ahead, keep going. I, I hear that's supposed to be the next level sandwich. I'm no sellout. Here's here's what Chick-fil-A. I heard. Here's what I heard. You got to get your Chick Fil A sandwich. You got to take that chicken, fried chicken, out of the buns, put it back in the sealed package that you get or whatever, right, that you open up. Put your sauce in there, shake it up, and then put it back on the bun. Oh, wow. Oh, so it's coated in, coated. in Chick-fil-A sauce. Coated in Chick-fil-A that sauce amazing. or whatever sauce you want. But I heard that's a life hack. Well, yeah. Man, that's, a, that's, a, that's like doing the McChicken McDouble thing, <laughs> yeah. man. That's, that's, that's next level. Chick-fil-A... Where's where's the pork fillet? Where are we getting? I don't the, know. That's a damn. I want my thing. pork burger. I know. Come on. So I was I talking know. with a meat scientist on a podcast, Doctor Chase Stahl with Hypor. Yeah. And he was saying that one of the biggest issues is the coloring. Is you can have a pork burger that's pink and a pork burger that's white. They're both perfectly done, but it's really hard to create consistency in the color. And so fast food doesn't want to touch it. Because fast food is just that, yeah, my, our, we're going to have complaints about color and it's not done when it's completely done. And, and you go. I mean, I was at the World Pork Expo and I, I bit into a pork burger. And it was as pink as you can believe. General consumer is going to think they can't eat that. And that's the biggest reason, apparently, that pork burgers haven't made it. It's they got to be thin. Buds, shout out to Buds. Buds. Riverside, Riverside Iowa. Riverside, Iowa. They make the best, the best. Best pork burger. Oh, you're gonna get some hate on that. I don't give a there's shit. There's a lot of people that love their Kyoto pork burgers. Okay, I don't care. No, uh, where are they at? Kyoto. I, do they go to the? Well, we don't fair? go that way. County fair. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not even close. Not the same. <laughs> buds. Buds are way better. Buds yeah. are way better. I can eat them all day, of the, every day of the summer. I can throw them on the grill, and they're just as good. They got to be thin, and I feel like they come out pretty. Yeah. The color's pretty consistent with Well, those. that's because they've got enough they've got enough barbecue seasoning. The problem with they're, that they're is they're kind of orange. They you could, <laughs> I feel perfectly like, healthy. I feel like for a pork burger you'd have to make it a smash burger almost a little bit uh. because they're thin. If you want that color, you'd have to have like a Culver's thin. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't feel like you can get a quarter, you know, a quarter That'd pounder, work. something like that maybe. 
I don't know. But yeah, I'm I am totally I'm totally on your idea of we need to get well, I don't know if you said this, but my belief is we need to get away from trying to be the second lean meat. And we need to come back to Flavor. what makes pork great. Yep. We need yeah. to make the breeds. We got to make them fatter. We got to get the fatter sows. We got to breed for fat. And I, that fat marbling taste marbling that matters. And guess what? When that happens, because it's going to happen. And I can't wait when it happens because everyone always comes at us when we're doing our TDF stuff that it affects the taste. Oh, those barn raised pigs. It, the taste is just different. It's taste because it's because they sit in those those barns all day. They're bored. They're bored. bored the taste, taste tastes it's worse. It's the grass and the walnuts and the dirt that they eat that makes the flavor. No. When we switch the breed over, and it's going to happen in my lifetime, it will happen. When we switch the breed over, we have a fatter, juicier pig as an end result, and it tastes the same. Then we'll, we'll see. Any of you non believers, you go to an expensive restaurant, you order the yeah. Berkshire or the Duroc chop. Yep. No, it's probably raised indoors. Yeah. And taste that sucker. Yeah. It's, it's damn good. good. I had an investor reach out to me. He uh, ordered a pig. It was actually from the Jewel family that yep. they got it from. And it was a Berkshire Duroc Manganitsa, Manganitsa uh, mix. Manganitsa is notorious for its woolly, woolly yep. uh, outside yep. coating. It looks like a sheep. Yep. And it's like 80% fat or something. like. It's crazy. Yep. Well, they crossbred it to kind of marble it. Yeah, it's marbled beautifully. He's like, this might be the best pork chop. He's like, the flavor is pretty consistent, but the juiciness is unbelievable. Is unbelievable. That's what we got to get back to. We need and to it's, get there. When you taught, I remember it was like a couple months ago, you, or not a couple months ago, a few months ago, you go listen to a podcast with a swine nutritionist on there. And he talked about that, that it's the breed that makes the biggest difference out of everything. Yeah. The feed is, is not the, you can give a, you can give a, a, a York land race, uh, pig, all nuts, all the walnuts you want. And that meat's not going to be marbled and it's not going to be. Pigs are not bourbon. We got bourbon Yes. Here. They're not right. bourbon. Why is Kentucky and Iowa a great place for bourbon? Why does it age twice as well as as, uh, as scotch? Well, it's we got the seasonality. Mm-hmm. The compression and the release of the barrels helps bring in that flavor. Yep. Having a pig outside freezing its butt off or sweating it, or it won't sweat, but yeah. being overheated or, or freezing its doesn't. butt off, it doesn't affect the flavor. So no. why don't we have it indoors at 70 degrees? Yep, right. Control the environment, provide better welfare, get a better pig. God, this has been a good one. This, <laughs> this has really been a good has one. has been a good one. We're, we're running. We're running a little bit. We're running plenty yeah. far. We got to go. We got to we gotta do a little bit, though. Just let's shoot off a five-minute little tangent. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin, Metaverse, winners or losers? What are your thoughts on these things? Do you have any opinions on them? What, what do you think? I do. I had a bunch of friends who got in it in 2017, and I didn't believe them. Frustrating. Um, I'm in crypto. I hopped out and I went into Cardano. Yep. Okay. Oh, oh you're as pissed off as I, I am. As then. pissed off because when you look at all the trends of crypto, yep. Cardano was due. Yep. They, they are were due. They ran that stretch. They're about a buck ninety. Yep. Oh. And then they just couldn't. Awful. And I told my dad to invest. He got in around May. He's he's up. And I said. Put one to five thousand dollars in crypto, yep. and don't touch it till you retire. Yep. And you're likely going to have something of meaningful value that you're yep. going to appreciate because this crypto thing's here. Yeah, it is. it's here to stay. It is here to stay. It is here to stay. 
And this NFT thing, I haven't got involved in it because you gotta listen to our last podcast. I I, I need to. You will. To. You will. It's a little, it's a little deep. I have but. I have buddies that have made hundreds of thousands of dollars on on NFTs, trading yeah. them, trading them. I can't. Them. And, I can't get. I don't. It's too hard for me. It is. Well, there's it, not enough there's hours. In day. It's like the dough. It's the. It's just like when Web 2.0 came out or Web 1.0, the domain thing. Everyone trying to figure out what domains were gonna, you know, win and what weren't. Yeah, it's hard with the NFTs. It's like you don't know who's gonna win, what NFTs gonna hit with people and what's not. But I did see Pepsi's coming out with them NFTs now. Tom Brady's coming out with his own NFT collection now. It's getting mainstream. We should do a pork NFT. The pork board should do a pork NFT. What I think, where you get free acceptance into any pork board event. Yeah, what you I should. think. What I in. think should happen. Grocery stores need to take massive advantage Whoa. of NFTs. Yes. Coupons. If I'm Costco, I'm making a whole division on NFTs. How can we make NFTs for Costco? Free uh, what do you, rotisserie Upgrades. chickens. Free pot pie for all. You know, because the thing with NFTs, for them to work, I feel like you need to have something attached to it. Yeah, it has to have some exclusive value. Right. So attach a free... Pot pie for the whole seasonal fall pot chicken pot pie. You can get a you know the whole thing one a month, free, one, one every month. two weeks, right. whatever. You gotta have something, and grocery stores could take massive advantage of that. Massive you know, it would be another great one. Again, we we have it as a theme today. What if you could buy a Buffalo Trace NFT? Oh, and what if you, because you owned your NFT, had exclusive rights? To get in some of the most hard to find bottles. Yeah. No, you're because that's what Gary oh, that's, v, good. that's Gary's thing. That's yeah. what he did. He They'd sold be experiences. Smart if they did that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it is in the I mean, it's, it's just be, not enough mainstream. But it's going. You know, to. like the, the masses are not on NFT NFT yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. When everyone starts to be like, okay, I'm looking at what what's the main platform to buy NFTs? OpenSea, I think it's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OpenSea, like when everyone's like perusing that and like looking for NFTs to buy, and it becomes real mainstream, then that kind of stuff will work because you need more and more people to get interested into it. Right well, now, I feel like we're just in this early stage of it's so early. Like you said, Cardano so is like right now; it's not doing very well, but still it's early. so still early. It's gonna do well. I think so. It has done. They have done such a good job working the emerging markets. The amount of time they've spent in Africa, and Africa is the oh. youngest. It's the youngest population, I think, anywhere because obviously it's hard yeah. to live a long time in Africa because they've got a lot of shitty leaders down there. But um, you look at like Nigeria, the adoption rate of crypto there is. It's oh yeah, it was like, we said, yeah. like we said, these third world countries—they're looking at this like this is our opportunity to change. Well, it's like we hum- said, it's our- a difference between here. You look at you look at crypto as a hobby or like an opportunity. A lot of these emerging markets, it's the difference between feeding your family and not because your currency is so trash upside down. Which is going to be crazy to see how well. I mean, these the crypto and the NFT markets. Could be what gets Africa yes. on its feet. I believe that. El Salvador. Because they're so bought in. Oh, yeah. El Salvador, it seems like it's working pretty well there. They're on the Bitcoin standard. and Max Kaiser is going to go. He's moving there. He's getting citizenship. Is he really? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, huh. he was on. He was on. Um, he was on Pomp the other day, and he said he made some comment about because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, countries in the Caribbean that if you make a big enough cash donation to their treasury, they'll give you they'll fast track you to dual citizenship. Oh, okay. And he was talking about that uh, El Salvador should just do that if you make an investment in Bitcoin. Anyway, the president of El Salvador called him and said, "Hey." Make an investment. Oh, we'll, wow. We'll we'll have you up by the end of the year. So anyway, him and what's her name? There, he said he's he's going because he thinks it's just. He said he thinks it's the largest opportunity of his lifetime. Well, hmm. what is it with these NFTs? I think one person really I can't remember his name. It's it's in the upper echelon of people like Elon Musk, who we look at and we we really listen to. Um, he said that. Oh, it's, I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Where he said that what you have in your NFT wallet will be a better depictor of you as a social person media than your social media posts. It's yep. just going to be exactly like you got to yep. listen to the last podcast. Our yeah. last podcast went deep into that. Yeah, Gary V <laughs> is a little a, crazy. Gary V is a f- that guy. I don't care what you say. Anyone listening to him, he is repetitive in what his content is about. But if anytime there's something new coming out in the world, He's that guy is on it. When mm-hmm. it comes to marketing and new opportunities, that guy's insight on stuff is smart. He predicted social media was going to be the way that it is now. That's why he was an early adopter of YouTube. That's why he was an early adopter of Facebook. having a website before anyone else, selling wine direct to consumer before anyone else. He knows trends. Uh, yeah, he came out with his own NFT collection and he sells access to himself attached to every single NFT that he sold. So everybody, no matter what NFT you bought, gets a three-year uh, ticket to his V conference oh, he's yeah, going to yeah. be putting on. And then also some of them are like, one of them's like, go to a Jets game with Gary V. Go to a Knicks game with Gary V. Have, Have a, a one-year one-on-one. mentorship with Gary V. All these access things. And I think artists athletes, influencers, business people are going to take huge advantage of it and sell access to them. even charities. Charities. Oh, yeah. That bourbon club you were saying, that's genius. I mean, they're grocery stores. I mean, it's going to get big. It's just how fast that it, till we get there. So question for you guys, because I know you guys like talk Tesla. Yeah. Like Elon. I loved, I think you had a shirt that said Elon or something. What was it? Don't bet against Elon. Don't bet, bet against Elon. If Elon acquired John Deere today, Yep. Would the stock rise 10x? No. You don't think so? No. Because no. its its shareholder base is so not informed as to what Elon is. They just hear they Tesla. They would panic. I, I, they just I, hear I, Tesla and oh, EV. Oh, okay. I, I see. I would imagine that like general consumers would be like, he's taking them to Mars. Yeah, John Deere's going to. I feel no, like outside people, outside people out of ag, right. out of the shareholders would be Hype. I could yeah. I could be wrong in the fact. I, here's what I think would happen. I think you would have massive selling because people that don't understand anything about what he is, they would rotate out, and then the Tesla faithful would be like, "Ah, oh, we're buying it because exactly what <laughs> yeah. you're saying. Oh my gosh, they're gonna, you know, yeah." How I long, agree. How long before the SEC bans Elon Musk from social media? Oh man. Um he'll one up him because this is what he will do. People speculate that he's going back to the chairman's role because his three year thing is up. I think he will completely get out of management. Mm. I think he will you just think step the away. Volkswagen guy is gonna take over. Well I did, but they didn't fire him. So I, <laughs> I did. I had a hunch that um the guy that runs Volkswagen Group 
I can't remember what his name is now off the top of my head. They cut him back as far as they took a bunch of his responsibilities away. And I really thought they were going to fire him because he basically just said, Tesla can make a car in a third of the time that we can. And if you don't, if we don't get our crap together, we're going to be bankrupt. And, you know, everybody hated it. The unions hated it. The ownership hated it. They all got pissed at him. And I thought they would end up firing him. And if they did, my theory was that he would go to Tesla and Elon would just step away and concentrate on R&D. But I, I, so my answer is I don't think that the SEC will do that because if they do, he'll just say, all right, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm just a, I'm just an employee. Yeah, he's just anytime he posts anything, the markets respond oh, I so know. much. Like he has such a strong control over markets. It's and he plays it like a fiddle. Oh, he does. And the thing is, what's so that, impressive? That tax thing was oh, genius. yeah, he because was he had to sell it anyway. <laughs> he was planning on selling these these shares of Tesla for tax purposes. Well, he had to. He had to. But he went on Twitter and said, "What did he say? He oh, about said, feeding the world or something?" Yes. Yes, and he made it sound like, "Hey, I'm well, doing this for." He just said, "Should I sell these shares?" Oh, or yeah, right. He had a poll on and he Twitter. Had a vote. He had a poll on Twitter. Should I just sell sell these shares? And he had to. Like, he knew he was going yeah. to. <laughs> but Genius. think about you know, think about the money that General Motors spends on advertising in a year. Tesla doesn't even have that. They don't even have an ad company. It's they don't need one. <laughs> they don't need one. Mm-hmm. And and the thing, people, it's amazing to me because people play right into it in the fact that it doesn't matter if the news is good or bad as long as they report it. And on any given day on financial outlets, Tesla's out there every day. Every because day. And sometimes it's bad. You know, the SEC's looking into them because solar, uh, solar's caught on fire in Walmart three years ago and some guy that they fired claimed that, you know, they fired him over that and now it's finally going to court. And so they're making a big deal about it. Well, it doesn't matter because every day they're in the forefront. But I, I'll tell you what. So I just had a conversation with a guy, a financial guy, and um, he asked me he asked me about Tesla, what I thought about it or whatever. And I just told him, I said, and I could be totally wrong. I realize I could, I am like, I'm like you in the fact that there's some things that I know I'm blind because I'm so biased because I've, I've bought in, I've spent the time and I'm bought in, and I think I'm right, but I could be wrong. And, you know, he said, what's Tesla going to be worth in three years? And I said, it'll be worth three times what it's worth today. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't think that's right. Well, I might be wrong. But there's so many things that they're doing that is so far ahead of everybody else. And the thing is, by the time the rest of the competition gets to where they are today, they'll be three times ahead of them Oh, Again, yeah. and their cult, their culture, their culture is totally different than Legacy Auto. Oh, absolutely! Everything they do is different, and it's we can't keep doing in any industry. We can't keep doing things the way we're doing it today. Just what we've talked about today. Yes, and they're in the midst of that. They're, and they're light years away. It's a juggernaut. They're light years ahead of everybody. And we talked about this on our last podcast, but everyone. I would we'd post clips about us talking about Tesla on TikTok, and everyone would categorize categorize us as, you know, liberals, hardcore liberals, EVs, and they talk to us about tree huggers, tree huggers, you know, just hardcore. And you know, 
Obviously, we're, we're hog farmers. Yeah. We're mostly conservative. <laughs> we have one opinion about t- Tesla and how we like it, and you categorize us as that. Just be and, like, we, we had self-driving tractors before right. these things we were running around. Like, <laughs> right. We know this more than you. Right. And right. the whole, our whole thing is, we're not so... Beholden. In, we're not beholden to... Well, no. We're... Our thing with Tesla is we don't... It's not like we are... We love Tesla because they're going to save the environment. Oh, yeah. Like, that's not our big thing. We love Tesla because, one, it's cool. It's cool. We love it. I, my girlfriend actually has a Tesla. It's amazing. It's Oh, my sweet. goodness. They're so fast. They're so fast. They're fun to drive. They're fun to ride in. And, two, we think they're going to be more as disruptive as Amazon, Apple, if not more than those companies. We think they can be huge. And that's why we love them. Well, that's why the we're a fan they of them. got the phone coming out now oh, with the satellite. You got to listen to oh, our podcast. Like, Last week, we went in depth on all that stuff. With Starlink and everything. Yes. Like, oh, I know there's a producer out here in Washington area who got Starlink. And we have kinda, Starlink. Yeah. You, yeah, here it's amazing. It, it is. It's, it's great. Amazing. And it's it just like gets better. Before it got overloaded with too many people to actually be any good. Yeah, it's and it gets better. Every batch they, they launch out. gets better. And then version two is going to be laser. You know the 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 transfer of data from satellite to satellite today it's radio wave. Mm-hmm. The next generation that's coming that they're looking to launch it's laser, so it's much faster. Yeah, and so it's just it's exponential growth as far as or exponential quality. You know, growth. And no, well, I don't even like Tesla because of that. I like Tesla because I'm greedy. I mean, I'll make no bones about it. I'm not. I'm not trying to take the moral high ground with Tesla. My whole motivation no. of buying Tesla is because I looked at it and I said, "This company is going to be worth a shitload of money, and the stock price is going to be way higher." And that's why I bought it. And I think we could be among the first to recognize all of the carbon costs that go into even making a Tesla. Yeah. Like, we're not in this for the environment because well, there's not a really great case. No, and people beat people beat you up about that. But here's the thing: we know how bad the carbon footprint is of legacy auto and of we know that we know what it is so the carbon footprint of the battery world and evs it's not great but the opportunity to make it much better is there is there the opportunity to make we've gone down this road for a long time we can't make it any better than what we can what we can do is go to china and say hey you guys need to stop you know dumping everything you can Uh, into the ocean and you know probably stop burning coal. so much yeah, burning coal america is doing probably it's absolute freaking best to make the environment is you know we as americans we're ahead pride. of everybody we're, else. we're ahead of everyone well, but if we're one of seven continents you know we're one of you know we're doing this and north america's the one continent that's doing this and all the rest of them aren't well, well let's let- how are we going to save the planet how we if no one else is going to get on the program? How are we going to save it? How are we going to do it? Let's look at Europe. Europe. Here we go. Yeah. There was this great talk at NPIC with Jack Bobo, who wrote a great food: Why Smart People Make Bad Food Choices, and he was talking about local sustainability versus global sustainability. And he's like, Europe offloads all of its carbon footprint to Brazil. Yep. And what are we losing? The rainforest. Yep. And so here, Europe says we don't use any of this stuff. Well, yeah, because you're using all of theirs, and theirs is some of the most yep. important in the world. And so yep. what does it mean to actually hold people accountable for their local and global footprint and not yep. just say, wow, your town is really sustainable. You only use bikes. Oh, but you do this. Yep. 
It's a whole picture. It's, it's the right. whole package. You can skew it however you want. <sighs> we're we're over. We're over because if we keep going, I'm not going to be able to load this onto my desktop, and yes. then I'm going to be really pissed. So, right. Matt, it was a true pleasure to have you, and a great conversation. Great conversation. Come Thank back you. anytime. Anytime for sure. Where the, can they find you? Where can they yes. find you? All the all the stuff that you're doing. Shout out your social media. Shout out your website. We'll put everything. In we'll the have link. all of Matt's stuff down below in the link in description, and also also in the show notes if you're listening. But you know, tell them where they can find you on social. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear great stories from from pork producers or people in the industry, Popular Pig Podcast is a great place to go. SwineTechnologies.com is where you can find things about our products. And if you go to SwineTech on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, you'll be able to see posts on them on a frequent basis. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have everybody subscribe and, and keep in touch with what's going on because we like to share those stories with the industry. And it's exciting where we're all going. <laughs>